You are listening to the White Shield Podcast, the poor man's Warhammer 40,000 experience. So welcome back to the White Shield Podcast. Um, This is our first episode where we're not actually sitting next to each other and we're on Discord, which maybe in the future we'll open up Discord for other people to come join us or something. But uh, how how are you liking this Discord thing so far? Well, so far, uh, well... Like uh, we just spoke earlier, it's uh, it's uh, it, it changed a lot since the, since back then. It's a very well, I find it's neater now. There's like more options, everything, and uh, I think the audio is gonna be fine. So at least I think that's a good uh, a good way we could still continue and proceed to our stuff. I think it, I think it's gonna yeah. work great. Going forward, yeah, I think it'll will work great. It's gonna be a pretty huge learning curve for me because like I'm pretty inept with computers and I've. I've never used Skype. I fucking have never used Discord. I have a Discord account prior to this solely just because of uh, some modding stuff I was doing with Fallout that required me to have a Discord server account, but I, I never fucking went on it. So I don't really understand Discord in the slightest. But yeah, now we're on Discord, so you can come find us at the White Shield Podcast on Discord, maybe. I'm not sure. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I think I tried to find it uh, find it in the, through the channels, public channel. It's not public, so I guess it's just send us uh, emails well, through Instagram or Facebook, whatever, and we could just send you an invite or maybe yeah. put it public, but we don't necessarily want to go public. Yeah, not yet. Maybe, might... maybe uh, one day if we get a bit more of a following or people express interest in it. But Yeah, but I feel like if you said put it public, it's going to attract a lot of bot and mischievous bad people oh yeah you don't want that we could do it by invite yeah. i guess yeah what are you uh what are you drinking right now you got it you got any drink with you to get through our episode no uh no drinks uh, with me uh i ate my bowl of chips just before uh bowl so of chips uh, oh. oh yeah the uh, miss vicky's uh, spicy ketchup you and your spicy fucking ketchup chips have you had those miss vicky's like the unsalted ones like original no 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 no. not the red ones they're like a light blue or purple color but they're they're like there's no salt nothing they're just just sliced up fried potatoes they're amazing they're like crack like they're next to the salt and vinegar they're like my favorite chip they're great for dipping because there's no flavor on the chip oh so i should try it well i should try it then i'm drinking uh I got one of those beers you left at my house, the fucking IPA, because it's the only beer I got left, and it, ta- <laughs> it tastes like a bar of soap. I don't know how people drink these fucking things. And it disappoints me, too, because this beer is from uh, Collective Arts, and I actually really like their their brewery. Like they, uh, I've had a couple other of their beers, and they have some really good ones, but this these IPAs taste like fucking like artisanal soaps. It tastes like IPA. It tastes like not great. Yeah, it's fucking horrible. I don't know how people unironically drink this shit and then chastise me for drinking stouts. Anyway, um, how's <laughs> how's your uh, how's your Deathwing coming along? Because you just started Deathwing, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. So even uh, I've not fi- totally finished painting and getting my Ultramarines ready. Uh, starting off the another army. Well, starting off, it's a big word. I just bought one set of models. I got the Deathwing Knights. Yeah, but I mean that's a that's a pretty sizable force in points. So it's yeah, it's like almost two twenty five, like the same amount of points as my three ATVs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> like I mean, you're you're pretty. 
that's a good word, starting out another army. If you're doing oops all Terminators, it's going to be not very many models. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, it's definitely not being, probably not going to be very highly competitive. It's just at least for, because just like the looks of most of the models and the Deathwing and all of that. So it's like, ah, sure, all Terminators, all like. <laughs> All gonna deep strike almost. <laughs> have you uh, have you you've assembled them right? Yeah, they are, they are awesome. Assemble is just they're laying on the shelf waiting for other stuff to be done. But uh, they are assembled, so they are playable. But uh, maybe nope. another set will have a five hundred points. So. <laughs> <laughs> five hundred okay. points game is too much. Too too squad. I'll do your five hundred points of terminators versus my 500, 500 points of terminators. For the most boring <laughs> fucking game ever. Um, so, so they're not paint on them or anything yet, eh? Just it's no, a no, no. It's little, just a symbol. Little reward to yourself for getting your marines done, I guess. Yeah, um, just to uh, put it that way. Yeah. Speaking of, I saw that post or that picture you just put up on Instagram today of the the fucking. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my Last... god. That thing looks tight. What is that? Your heavy intercessor? Uh, it's the sergeant of my heavy intercessors. Yeah, that I just finally finished. It was uh, fucking it's... clean looking, man. That is, I love the helmet on that. It just popped. I really just, like the uh, red helmets. The red and white helmets on ultramarines look so good. Yeah, it's very standout from the the, the rest. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that out, but uh, yeah, I, I tried a new technique for that. So I was painting one colors on every fire uh, and every model, and then I was switching. So I was doing like let's say the the guns, so blacks on everything, and then I was doing let's say the <laughs> the sword uh, or the pouches, so brown on everything. So I was doing one. So it took longer, I think, but I got five all. I got uh, the five done at all at the same time. So yeah, I've 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 done that. I did that a little bit with my death core. I'd line up like. 10 models and be like okay left boot on everybody okay now left leg on everybody okay now right boot on everybody and it, it is a time-consuming fucking process and it takes like it's effective but it takes the fun out of it a little bit and i'm, I'm way too add for that yeah but uh yeah yeah it's more time effective and i feel like i wasted less paint and like oh yeah, yeah. Uh, always cleaning the the, the 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 brush and then next paint cleaning the brush and next color cleaning the brush it's like Everything blue and then everything brown and then it's like uh, yeah. save some paints and so it's it was a... easier to keep track. So I was like, tonight I'm doing all the pouches and then like tomorrow I'm doing all the guns. It's a good way to get the uh, like a consistency too to like make sure that the the black on say the bolter is the same black on every single model. Yeah. Like that that's always a pain in the ass like i'll paint especially with my my uh templar because i keep trying different gradients of black like i i originally mm-hmm. was black and then gray and then white now i'm doing like black fading to blue fading to white and i keep mm-hmm. forgetting the exact colors i'm using and what order i'm doing them in <laughs> it's because it's it's oh, not, yes. <laughs> i'm not even doing it simple i'm doing like okay start with a black then a gray then a black wash then a blue wash then a, a gray layer and then a white layer and then another black wash or something like it's i I have it on my phone listed somewhere for that reason but my sister's too because i'm doing gold and i'm pretty sure i've painted every single one of my sister's models that are gold i'm pretty sure i used a different method for every single model (laughs) yeah well it's like when you yeah because you kind of not lose track but like let's see for the ratio it's like not the exact same ratio or uh the way i don't know just the way it was painted isn't the same 
like, fuck, you're doing ratios and shit. I'm just going right out of the pot. <laughs> fuck yeah, I don't know. I started, uh, like, for, <laughs> like for the helmet, I started, I started watering down a bit the paint. So it's uh, so I put more layers. So it like, looks less chalky. I, li- I like that kind of chalky look, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I actually try and aim for that look a little bit when I do white on my Templar. Um, yeah, anything else you're working on right now? Uh, currently, no, no, I'm just really trying to get done with all the paints so I can start doing my base. So I'm pretty excited to start doing basing, but I want to get down every paint done first. So like every paint and then I'll be do basing. And like I told you, it's going to be all, well, snow, not necessarily ice, but snowy effect. So yeah, uh, I, I, I'm really excited to see that. I, I love snowy bases and snowy effects on, uh, 40k models especially on space marines or something like it looks um i don't know i I find it looks almost like peaceful which i like yeah it's it's a bit of like your like my what yeah it's just like a peaceful like you're uh more of a ball oh yeah that base is so neat fuck thanks i i'm really happy with how that base turned out it was a bit of a time consuming process uh because like the whole base is just flowers and tufts of grass and i don't know if the if the photo i put up on instagram did it well but it was literally like the entire base is covered there's no bare spot on that base (laughs) so i'm sitting there picking up probably like 50 or 60 pieces of flock and like gluing the bases individually and putting them down and uh it was it was definitely a process but it looked good that's kind of what i was going for too is i wanted something a little more not necessarily peaceful but i like the idea of uh because I did the snow bases with my Templar, but I made a point of, like, especially on the bikers I did, how I did, like, the ice bases that mm-hmm. had, like, like, they were black, but they looked like ice. I was I, I kind of wanted that to be more, um, I guess, not as peaceful. Like, it was supposed to look, like, cold and brutal, but with mm-hmm, my sisters, yeah. I, wanted, I wanted kind of a juxtaposition of, like, yeah, I've got these crazy women wielding massive fucking flamethrowers the size of a small scooter uh but they're they're frolicking through fields of flowers while they're <laughs> yeah, trying right. to burn you to death right <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a very creepy vibe it's uh, it's nice mm-hmm. it was actually the final scene in uh metal gear solid 3 that inspired me to do that though the the fight scene between naked snake and the boss when you kill her and she like falls into the field of white flowers and then they all turn red yeah. I, I, I don't know if you've played that game, but that scene, fucking, I love that scene. And ever since I, I did it, I'm like, I want to do something like that in 40k. And so I'm like, I'm going to do all these pretty red and pink flowers on all my sisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's nice. But no, I haven't played the game, so... I oh my god. Know. You gotta play Snake Eater. It's so good. Um... I, I also, I didn't tell you this, but my night, I, uh, cause I was in Victoria last week, right? Um, yeah. and I, I spent a lot of time kind of hanging out on the beaches cause like, I really like the ocean. So I'm walking along the beaches yeah. and I'm picking up like just shells and, uh, <laughs> I, I guess a couple of them were like dried out barnacles and stuff, but they're like fairly sizable. And so I, I come back from Victoria with just a fucking bag full of seashells and I'm, I'm going to find a way to put them on my night. Like, what oh, yeah, I really yeah, like to yeah. have is have, like, one side of him, of his shoulders, like, just all massive fucking barnacles. 
I think that would look a lot better on a Night Valiant or Castellan, the ones that have all the massive missiles and shit on their backs. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to find a way to fit it on there. Um, I still want to get, I think the next knight I'm going to get is going to be a Lancer after playing that game with you and I proxied that yeah, Lancer. And, and destroyed he just, everything? Just murdered everything. Um, and as I said to you, I want my Lancer to ally with my sisters and I'm going to put like, uh, I want the, the shield he carries to be like a stained glass window. But a bunch of the shells I bought are like the perfect shape and size to be a stand-in for that shield. And now I'm really mixed about it. I'm like, ah. do I want to do uh, a churchy looking one? Or do I want to just put this in my other knight army and just ally it over to my sisters? So that's where I'm at now. Um, yeah. Uh, you were telling me this week, though, uh, just not to change the subject. You were telling me this week about like, a, I feel like you bombarded me with a whole bunch of news, like 40k news. Yeah, well, it's just that uh, every time I logged on Facebook, it's like Warhammer is posting new stuff. Like, oh, there's the artwork for all the codexes yeah, coming out. There's the new models and there's uh, League of Wotan models. Like, they, yeah, they tell a, I think they, I think they had an event going uh, and they were just releasing everything. Uh, it might be Games Day. I don't know when Games Day is, but uh, they they hold that in Nottingham at uh, Warhammer World, and it's like a big fucking. It's like E3, but just for Games Workshop. Um, Tell me about those League of Oton models, though, because I, I keep hearing about them, but because I was in Victoria all week, I haven't really had a chance to do anything Warhammer-related except for go to a game store and buy a whole shitload of Flower Flock. Uh, so what are these new uh, models? I think they are the, the uh, re-releases. They already exist in the past, but it's... Uh... It looked like a floor sweeper. Uh, hold on, I'm going to find a picture. Oh, yeah, no, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Um... What's it called? Yeah, that's what I'm uh, trying to dig. Hold on. League of Votan Floor Sweeper. See if it gets it. It'll probably get a meme. No, it actually just brought up the regular, like, uh, Hearth or Hearthkin guy. Uh, League of Votan. Where the fuck is he? I, I. Oh, there we go. It's. A Hernkin Pioneer. I don't think that is a new or a, a returning model. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, but I think it changed a bit. Oh, okay, I got it. Uh, I think they changed the way it looks. But before, yeah, like it was a three wheel things, like two in the back, one in the front, and was uh, standing high. Oh. Like a like a dessert bike thing. Oh, was it? Was it? When you're saying it's a returning model, then it's just like a recycled design from another army. No, I, I think it's the 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 thing exists existed in the past, but now it like they just re reuse the same name or same thing, but uh, mm. just like revamp the design of it. I like, mean, it's, you're talking about like way back in the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Let's yeah. take a look. Hernkin Pion. I wouldn't be shocked. Oh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still there. Just uh, look at the... Uh, send you the link. Oh, okay. I just heard a beep, and I'm like, oh, fuck, did I lose a recording? Uh, no, no, oh, no, no. yeah, yeah. I just... I see the old one here. Fuck That's me, that like old one. Yeah. Goofy <laughs> as shit. Jesus Christ. Um, 
Yeah, that new one looks. Really I kind of cool. like the new uh, the new style. It's I think it looks uh, it looks very nice. It, yeah, they found a very good uh, kind of design. I think with this new one with the new leagues of Votan. Um, I heard yeah. that there's new. Uh, when I initially saw this Hernkin Pioneer, I, I actually thought it was um, for the Ash Wastes update coming for uh, what do you call it? Necromunda. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, because I thought it because the the I know the Ashway set comes with apparently a couple of like quote unquote bikers, and I know for the Ash Waste people, like the new faction, the Ash Waste Nomads or whatever they're called, they're again quote unquote bikers are dudes riding around like giant fleas. Like, did you? I think I asked you this, but did you play Morrowind or Skyrim? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Morrowind a bit, but uh, more Skyrim, yeah. Did did you play uh, the the Dragonborn DLC? No, I played no DLC. Okay, well, in, in Morrowind as well as that DLC, there's these things that like the elves of Morrowind ride across the weight, like the ash wastes, and they're like giant fleas, essentially, like just massive fucking fleas. And the ash waste nomads are are riding those in the new 40k ah. set. Um, so I, I thought I figured that that uh, street sweeper thing that the Voton guys are driving was actually the uh, House Griffin model. I didn't realize it was Voton. I uh, thought it was Necromunda. I thought I saw that they had new... The exosuits revealed. Um, but I, I, I haven't see seen it. anything concerning the new exosuit. Because uh, I remember seeing some models that were like Fabergé eggs, but I, I can't seem to find them here. Uh, maybe I dreamed it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe... Uh, other than that, in the news, uh, the same, I think the same week, they release. Well, they confirmed that the uh, the that the world eaters are uh, getting their own codex. So your predictions were right. Uh, that wasn't my predictions. That was spiky bits, but fucking awesome. Yeah. I actually, you yeah, know, so they're getting I, their own uh, codex. I was talking to somebody recently about that. I I can't remember who it was, but they they were very excited that the. Uh, World Eaters are getting a codex. I, I'm excited too. I'd like to see Angron as a model. Yeah, yeah. well, the more, I guess, uh, uh, chapters or fallen chapters or any factions that are playable, the nicer it is. It just create more chance of having uh, variety. Yeah, so next up, World Eaters, and then I guess after that, the next logical step is an Enslaver's Codex. Um, hopefully. Oh, yeah, the Enslaver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get them. <laughs> They're coming. Um, you mentioned, uh, you sent me a link too about the Warzone Nephilim, and I actually managed to step into a games workshop last week and talk to the uh, the, the guy who ran it. Employee? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the employee, the, the sole person who worked there, because um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's just that dude. Uh, so I was asking him about it, and there's no release date yet on that Warzone Nephilim, and it, it does seem, we were talking about it, like you and I, it, it does seem like it's coming out very close after the Octarius one, but if you think about it, like yeah. we are in the later half of uh, 2022, so they said it was going to be twice a year and i guess we're getting our second one now um i, I did look yeah. into it a little bit and there were some interesting points on this one uh it looks like as per the new chapter approved armies are gonna start with half as many cp yes that is correct that's crazy so less yes. uh 
uh, shredded and spamming, you get a L- less more less orbital gondab bombardments from you is what that means but no the, the other side of that though so you start with less cp but then every battle round you gain cp yes yeah so i i think that means not just your turn but i think you gain it the battle round and the turn potentially hmm. or or you're gaining the no, no, no. I think it's you gain the CP at the battle round, so it doesn't matter if you're turn one or turn two, you get your CP at the same time. Um, yeah. It also said that there's uh, each army will get unique secondaries. And it says that there were... Yep. So this is what was confusing, is it said... <laughs> I think I was reading this off Spiky Bits or Warhammer Community or something, but it said secondaries for each army, but then it also said bespoke secondaries for the armies that are lacking a codex, such as Astra Militarum, Chaos, etc. So I'm not sure if that means that, like the current book, there's going to be, here's all the secondaries everybody's allowed to use, that being the secondaries Uh, for each army, but then there's also, like, custom secondaries that only certain armies can take. If that's the case, that's nothing new, because Octarius has that for Knights, Chaos, and Guard, I think. Um, yeah, but if they had like unique ones for every army, that would be kind of cool. That would be pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the biggest news for this though that uh, honestly, like I give a rat's ass about this, but it seems the community at large has been screaming about this for a while. Uh, the points update is not included in this. Yeah, because Mars Gate is be uh, it's free now. Yeah. you don't have to buy the thing to get the points update. So you, it's just I guess a... you'll just get them online. Yeah, it's just a free update you can get off of the app and the Warhammer community website for those people who haven't figured out what Battlescribe is. And that, yeah. There's points listed there. Um, as for other news, I mean, Knights just got released, I think, didn't they? Uh, the Codex? No, I think the I've seen that they released the artwork. Knights? But, for, uh... for Chaos? Chaos Knights? I think for both. Well, I th- I'm pretty sure. So Chaos Knights were absolutely on uh, pre-order, and I'm pretty sure they released now, or maybe it was pre-release, because I'm part of a Sisters of Battle uh, like painting group on Facebook, and one of the guys on there posted a picture of the box. Like, he had the oh, picture okay. of the box, and he had a picture of the Purgatorious Mission box, or whatever, the one that's like the Sisters of Battle Christmas box. He had both boxes in his hand, so... I'm pretty sure the Knights have launched now. Um, oh, yeah, it said it was on pre-order uh, May, uh, 7th of May, so you could pre-order from May 7th, so I guess it's coming in yeah, slowly. So I think it's out now. Because the pre-orders, the pre-orders aren't that far in advance of release. It's like, it's like yeah, a yeah. week or something. Um, the, I, I was talking again to the Games Workshop guy about the Knights, and I was asking if there's anything new for, like, good guy knights because chaos obviously are getting a big revamp from the looks of it which is fucking yeah. wicked uh-huh. unfortunately well they, their own thing now. well they have for a while and i didn't realize this but i misspoke in one of our previous episodes about how they didn't have a model uh, like a model kit before they did it just wasn't nearly as cool as the one that's out right now but there was a specific uh. like this is the chaos knight it just didn't look nearly as awesome um but the one little bit of good news for the Loyalist Knights is that the uh, the Valiant and the Castellan, they're the, the fucking larger knights that have the big shoulders yeah. and all the guns. They are the same chassis 
but they're separate kits. So if you want a Valiant, you have to go buy a Valiant. If you want a Castellan, you have to go buy a Castellan. And if you want, like, the, the opportunity to use the weapons from both, you have to buy two full fucking kits. That's, right? Uh... Same with the Armagers. The Warglaives are Warglaives, and the Helverins are Helverins, and they're two separate kits. But apparently now, according to this Games Workshop guy, uh, the Valiant and the Castellan will be a single kit, and the Warglaive and the Helverin will also be a single kit. So it's going to be exactly like the Dominus Knight chassis in the sense that, like, you buy one kit, you get all the options with it so you can magnetize it, which is wicked. Which is, yes, because uh, then it's only one box you gotta buy and you get everything. Exactly, which is, I mean, that was a very good decision by Games Workshop. It's, it's frankly absurd that they didn't do that to begin with, especially because those are very expensive models. Um, yeah, so they're probably not going to sell as much if they get it even split, but now that they're both in one set, I think their sellers might go up. Yeah. One other thing I saw that was kind of interesting is Forge World has been moving some stuff over to Games Workshop. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, some plastic, like the freaking big tank is now going to be plastic. So yeah, no, no, on. no. Well, what, what tank are you talking about? Uh, which one? Hold on. Sicarian, Sicarius tank. Oh, like a big hover tank thing, eh? Yeah, the Legioness, well, it's for uh, Aorus Heresy. Yeah, yeah, bad, okay, so uh, they've confirmed Legioness, that. Astartes, Sicarian is going to be plastic now. That's exciting. No, the one I was talking about yeah. is, um, so they've been, like, really quietly, obviously the one you're talking about is, is, uh, results of the revamp of Horus Heresy, and they're pro- I, I honestly think the whole Horus Heresy revamp has been a long time coming, because fucking years ago now, like, uh, it was probably, like, six-ish, maybe more years ago, Games Workshop launched a couple sets uh through games workshop in plastic and it was they launched the heresy era crusade armor for space marines they released cataphracty terminators they released the i can't remember what the other type of terminators are but the cataphracties and the other heresy era terminators they released them as plastic sets through gw and they also yeah. released like a box set um, that was Space Wolves versus uh, Thousand Suns, and they were painted in pre-heresy mm. colors, so the Thousand Suns were all red, but this was this was years ago, and that was when they first released the Contemptor Dreadnought as a plastic model as well, which I think you can still buy. So that was, like, that was kind of a big deal back then, because, like, for... To, like, if you wanted any of that shit, you had to go to Forge World. You couldn't get any of that kind of stuff yeah, through yeah, games. Yeah workshop and now you could and now years later they're like okay now we're actually doing the whole fucking horus heresy lineup over which uh, makes me yeah. think they they've probably been planning this for a very long time um but no the thing i was talking about was they've been like quietly moving some of their products from forge world directly over to games workshop but they're marketing them as mm -hmm. expert level modeling kits Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You so were they're, you that. yeah, yes. they're priced at the same point as they are on Forge World, so they're exactly the same cost as they would be on Forge World, and they're only listed on the uh, like the United Kingdom's version of the website. But so far, it looks like it's hmm. just Tyranids for some reason. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it's probably a sign of things to come, and it's probably in anticipation for Horus Heresy stuff. Um, also, I mean, there's supposed to be a Guard Codex coming up, and Imperial Guard have a shitload of stuff on Forge World, so it could be in preparation for that. 
Yeah, well, I think they're ramping up all everything. I don't know because I've not been in for a while, but I've seen like lately there's a lot of, a lot of new news, new stuff releasing, new updates. New, I feel like there's a lot going on now. Yeah, it's been a how it was in the past. But. Um, not like this, from what I remember. I mean, I only I haven't been in I, the the amount that I've immersed myself into 40k these days is not remotely close to what it used to be. Like, I used to be really just on the surface, but uh, I I don't remember it ever being this crazy. I feel like they're doing a big push, uh, like, not to go main, main, mainstream, but, like, to attract more and more and get things more streamlined to, like, evolve the thing. Well, absolutely. I, I think they're, um, I think they're, they're absolutely trying to, to adapt for a, a changing world and a changing marketplace because yeah. of uh, especially with the emergence of 3d printing and all that nonsense so they, they got to yes. figure out things to do yeah um yeah you have any other news you want to talk about anything else uh no i think that was no that we covered pretty much every major thing i think there's nothing uh, other than that very exciting at well other well, i didn't follow anything for necromanda or uh or a series, I have no clue, but yeah, that's pretty much for 40k, I guess, recently. Yeah, I, I, I honestly didn't manage to do much. Like I said, I didn't get to do much 40k stuff this week, so I haven't really looked into it too much. Um, but uh, it, it seems like, like you said, there is just constantly shit happening. So <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure we're missing yeah. a whole bunch. Um, but I guess we'll get into the main episode here. Um, cause this has been a long, yep. this has been a long time coming and quite frankly, I am fucking stoked to get her done. <laughs> to get it done with it. Get it done. What are we talking about today, Dion? We're finally on the road to Oris Eresy. Well, we're there now. We so are. We, we're finally, we are dealing with finally talking about the Horus Heresy or according to 1D4chan, otherwise known as the Horus Humbug. Um, <laughs> Horus, I'm actually, there was a fucking, I gotta bring that up, it was fucking killer what they called it, there was another name they had for it. The Horus Heresy, also known as the Horus Humbug, Comic Scale Daddy, or Cosmic Scale Daddy Issues, that time Erebus fucked everyone over forever, Paradise Lost <laughs> in Space, and my favorite, Jimmy Space and the Terrible hor the Terrible Horrible No Good Very Bad Decade. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that, that sums it. And they they have a a quote on one uh, D four chan here by a guy named Carl Popper, who I have no idea who he is, but I think it sums up the war pretty good in what he says is the attempt to make heaven on earth invariably produces hell. I I think that's a good <laughs> little summation of what yeah. what happened. What do you know about the Horus Heresy? What happened? Tell me everything that happened and the order that it happened in. Oh, I don't know what happened. Not necessarily what happened during the Oracle, <laughs> but mainly is that. <laughs> you mainly don't? That's, uh, yeah, I don't. But uh, just well, what we recap and leads on to is like uh, everybody's going around and freaking messing up with everyone's mind. Not yes, mind, but what but, what uh, was what was. Politics. What was that? That's what led to it. What was the Horus heresy itself? Uh, what was it about? Uh, it was not about uh, Oris. Well, I, I know you went to Terra or Earth, that, uh, and they want like uh, get all done with the uh, God Emperor because 
if he's on, then the prophecy that is gonna be through, which is uh, devastation and sadness, which is actually what's happening. Yeah, so basically it was that he was tricked by the Chaos Gods because of Erebus's dickery, and he saw a vision where the Imperium was ruled over by the God Emperor as a living corpse, and it was ruled through yeah. violence and fear, and he was told that if, if the Emperor was allowed to stay on his throne, that this is what would happen, and that he had to stop yes. it. And the irony of this, of course, is that his attempting to stop that from happening is what caused Created that to happen. Created what he saw. Yeah. Um, so some just uh, some like pre a little bit of a preamble to the episode. Um, the war, despite the massive destruction, it actually only lasted nine years, roughly. wasn't even a full ten years. Um, oh, but in those nine years, the conflict spread across the entirety of the Milky Way, like the entire fucking galaxy. Billions. Billions of traitor forces died, and 4.6 trillion loyalists died <laughs> in, okay. in nine oh, years. Uh... <laughs> um, and despite okay. it only lasting nine years, the effects of this war would be felt for the next 10,000 years, and it shaped the Imperium into what we know it as in the current setting of 40k. Uh, the end result yes. was the Emperor of Mankind was effectively killed, the entire Imperial government and military had to be reorganized, the Adeptus Astartes legions were for forced to break into the chapters. The Imperium was left with a significant power vacuum that led to ongoing conflicts on a much smaller scale, and the Imperial cult was allowed to turn into the Ecclesiarchy and amass a huge amount of power, and then the age of the Imperium began. Like, basically nine years, just nine years of a guy and his brothers being little bitches to each other, and just all this nonsense happened. Um, yeah. So what was the Battle of Davin? Do you remember that? Uh, wasn't the battle where he got stabbed with this the, uh, relic uh, blade that he caused uh, Oris to be, well, kind of dying? So he got sent with uh, the other dudes to be healed. Precisely, that's what happened. He... He, Davin was a planet Horus, uh, Horus forced into Imperial compliance. And yeah, he didn't want to murder everyone. He was trying to politically try to... Yeah, he let the people deal live. Deal with it without killing everyone. Yeah, it was a warrior culture where he let the people live. They uh, had these warrior lodges that were like secret Freemason-style cults. Erebus made those warrior lodges spread through the legions. Through the warrior lodges, he was able to spread his ideas and slowly corrupt people. And then uh, Erebus sort of tricked the governor of Davin, who was Horus's buddy, into turning traitor and uh, managed to get him to stab Horus with a poisoned blade, which was yeah. what caused Horus to have the visions of the god of the chaos gods. Um, mm -hmm. So the Battle of Davin happens, and then just kind of middle, 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 Horus starts a ten-month war with something called the Technocracy of Oretian, or something. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what that's about. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but it was during this time that Horus began to work toward converting his brothers. Because he was corrupted now, and he knew Lorgar was corrupted. He knew he had Lorgar on his side, right? Lorgar of the Word Bears. But yeah, yeah. he needed others. There were some that he knew would immediately join him, right? 
But yes. there were also those that he knew were far too loyal that would have never joined him. Like, he, he, mm-hmm. he knew right out the gate, like, for instance, Fulgrim was kind of a kiss-ass to him specifically, and Fulgrim was kind of a showboat and kind of after personal glory, so he knew Fulgrim would come with him. Sanguinus, on the yeah. other hand, who was his best friend, and he wanted Sanguinus to come with him, he knew Sanguinus would never come with him because he was too loyal to the Emperor. So he, he kind of had an idea who would come with him, but there were a lot of unknowns in this as well. Um, I'm pretty sure Alpharius Omegon, he didn't really know where his loyalties lied. I don't think he knew where uh, Magnus's loyalties lied. I'm pretty sure he thought Magnus wouldn't come with him, period, of the Thousand Sons. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's shortly after the Battle of Davin that Horus began this like long, long kind of quiet campaign of kind of feeling out his brothers and seeing who's going to come with him. In the uh, so, so the Battle of Davin, that was uh, 004.m31. In 004.m31 as well, but this is specifically 734.004.m31. Do you remember how the timing system works? Did I explain the timing system to you? Yeah, all the Millennium and then the... Uh... Well, yeah, 004.m31, but do you know what 734.004.m31 means? You probably already explained, but I've I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't know if I did explain this, because uh, it took me a while to figure this one out. The like zero zero four dot m thirty one is obviously that year, right? It's thirty thousand oh four, like three zero 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 four. But when they write seven three four dot zero zero four dot m thirty one, what they're saying is basically to make dates more accurate within like a period of a within a year, they divide the year yeah. into a thousand segments. So every uh. year is divided into a thousand segments of X number of hours. So in segment seven hundred and thirty four out of a thousand of zero zero four dot m three one is when the burning of Prospero happened. Um, what do you know about the burning of Prospero? If I recall, and I'm not <laughs> mixing, up, mixing things up, is uh, the place where Reboot was ordered to just burn everything no, down. No, 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 no. That was Monarchia. Monarchia. That was like 40 years prior to this. That was several episodes ago. Monarchia was fucking... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't uh, touch on Monarchia at all. <laughs> Is that the place they flatten the half of the planet and do the pirate square with it? No, that's the Ulanor Crusade, which uh, was about four years prior to this, I think. So Prospero is the home world of Magnus the Red. The one-eyed king, the uh, the Thousand Sun Primarch, and sorry, there's gonna be a loud noise for a minute. I have to open oh. my bubbly and get the taste of this beer out of my mouth. Ah, that's some good bubbly. Um, so Prospero was, uh, it's called, it, it's the it's the planet that Magnus is from. Okay, Magnus yes. is the Primarch of the Thousand Suns. Yes. Is this giving you a hint to what the burning of Prospero might be? There's another one uh, after the burning of Prospero. I just recall that. Uh, I've, I've mentioned freaking, it a few uh, times, but we haven't talked about it. 
freaking uh who who did it? forgot the name uh, the wolf the wolf guy the wolf wanted to guy. go kill him the furry yeah so what the burning of prospero is is Horus got corrupted, right? Horus had his vision. Magnus was doing... Yeah, yeah. Like, like, remember the whole Council of Nikea thing that happened? When the Emperor's like, Magnus, no more psychic stuff. And he's like, okay, Dad. And then he stopped doing psychic yeah. stuff. Magnus was still secretly doing a little bit of psychic stuff. Little, mm. Just a little. Just a, just a spoonful of psychic stuff, right? Like, he, he had an addiction, and he's, he can't go cold turkey. So because of his, <laughs> his psychic stuff that he's doing... Magnus now had a vision that Horus corrupted. And he's like, fuck, I gotta tell Dad. So Magnus essentially tried to open up a Zoom meeting with uh, with Big E, and uh, the Emperor's bandwidth got, like, really fucked up and ruined everything. What actually happened here was, we talked about this last episode, uh, yeah. Magnus tried to psychically project into the Emperor's palace while he was working on the Webway project, and he had, like, a, mm-hmm. a force field up. And the projection destroyed the force field, and the Emperor only, like, kind of got the message, but he was like, Magnus has turned traitor, he's lying to me about my favorite son, Horus, and then he goes to, uh, fucking Lehman Russ, the space wolf, the wolf king, and he yeah, says, Lehman Russ, and he yeah. says, go get your fucking brother and bring him back here. We have to deal with him, right? Uh, Horus yeah. intercepted this message, and he countermands Russ, saying, change this to a kill order. Dad wants you to kill him. Yes. Russ gets a massive erection and just goes right to Prospero with the intent to kill everything. Um, was you dreamt of? Yeah, he was very happy that he he was now believing that the Emperor told him to do this. It was actually Horus told him to do this. The Emperor told him to arrest Magnus. Either way, Magnus felt very ashamed of what he had done. Right, especially because they just had the Council in IKEA and he was told never do this. Right now, now Magnus feels like yeah. he's betrayed the Emperor. He believes that he's been manipulated by Zinch because he's one of the Magnus is the only Primarch who knows about the Chaos Gods, right? Because uh, the Emperor yeah. told him. So he believes that he's been manipulated by Zinch in his pursuit of knowledge, and that the visions he saw were Zinch's trickery. That Zinch was nah. was fooling him, right? So he feels like he's guilty. He's like, you know what? I I am in the wrong here, and I've let my mind wander too much, and I've I failed our father, basically. Uh, so the wolves, the space wolves, they descended on Prospero, but they find out that its defenses aren't active. Like none of the orbital defenses are active, and hmm. nobody's waiting for them. Magnus knew that Zinch wanted a slaughter to happen between the wolves and the Thousand Sons, so he refused to participate. And he was willing to sacrifice his entire legion and homeworld to this. He was like, I'm, I'm not going to give Zinch what he wants. The people of Prospero and the Thousand Sons, like the whole legion, they had no idea this was coming, this attack. Everybody was completely unprepared. There's even evidence that, like, not only did they not know the attack was coming... But nobody had any idea that the Emperor had decided to bring Magnus to Earth to be tried. Like, nobody knew that the Emperor was even mad. Um, there, there's evidence, yeah, yeah, yeah. too, that certain members of the Legion, who may have somehow stumbled across this information before the incoming attack, were just, like, quietly disappeared. Like, they just... So Magnus might have been, like, taking people out in secret. Because he's like, you know about this upcoming attack? I don't want people to panic. <laughs> so he's disappearing. Oh, people. wow. Yeah. So, like, there's this meme about, like, Magnus did nothing wrong, but, like, 
yeah, Magnus, you're guilty of the thing you did, but you know what? All these people don't have to die because you're a fucking jackass. <laughs> like, that, that's what Magnus did do wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, the wolves, they position themselves above Prospero, and they're, like, pretty fucking confused as to why there's no opposition. A uh, small number of civilian yeah. ships are seen leaving the planet, and that what they are is they're likely refugees who had, like, kind of gathered that something bad was about to happen, because all of a sudden there's a bunch of fucking space wolf ships above the planet, <laughs> quietly positioning themselves, and they're probably, like, the civilians. Yeah, actually, yeah. it's a uh, so, bad omen. The civilians are like, that don't look good. <laughs> so a couple of them managed to escape, but many of these ships were captured and boarded by the wolves, and the civilians were interrogated by the rune priests. Which sounds like a pretty unpleasant time to me. Um, yeah, I know. So they they were like circling the planet's atmosphere like a pack of wolves, effectively the space wolves. Uh, they finally decided to unleash a devastating orbital bombardment on the planet's surface. Um, largely, they were focusing on the capital city of it's called Tizka or Tizka, uh, which was saturated with enough firepower to level an entire fucking continent, but it was able to stand still, like it wasn't completely okay. Yeah, yeah, they they did like an Ulanor and tried to level the whole fucking continent. But Zika was able to stand somewhat because it had telekinetic force fields called uh, Kine Shields. Either way, um, mm. literal fire is raining from the fucking sky. The forests outside the city are burning into nothing. There's shrapnel and fire falling out of the clouds and killing people. The city's being brought to ruin in a matter of minutes, and Magnus is just weeping. Like, Magnus is just up in his fucking tower watching this and just crying watching this happen as opposed to doing anything about it um once the city was completely destroyed and basically just a pile of ash the ground assault starts so drop ships assault boats gunships all fall to the surface and they're backed up by larger ships carrying armor and artillery uh the locals like form a militia alongside local imperial army regiments um but their resistance was largely pointless. <laughs> the people who were fighting yeah, knew yeah. it was pointless. They're like, we're not going to win. <laughs> like, there's no winning against this. It's the full might of the Space Wolves, and we're just yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. basic bitches. But they were too proud of Tizka, and they were refusing to let it fall without like fighting for it. The Thousand Suns themselves, during this onslaught, suffered massive casualties in the opening bombardment, and the Sisters of Silence were allied with the uh, Space Wolves. So you know who the Sisters oh, of yeah. Silence are, right? Sisters of Silence? Yeah. Not a, uh, not a chapter, but... Uh, not a wing, but uh, from the... Well, the Adeptus Sororitas? No, they have, nothing like to, they have nothing to do with the Adeptus Sororita. The Sisters mm -hmm. of Silence oh. belong to the Adeptus Astra Telepathica, which is the oh. governing body of the Imperium that deals with psychers. And what the Sisters of Silence oh. are is every single one of them carries the pariah gene, meaning that they're not only not are they not psychic, but they block out psychic energy. Like, psychic people can't be near them. It, oh. it not only shuts off their energy, but, like, the more powerful you are, the worse the effect is, to a point where, like, if you're psychic near a Sister of Silence, you'll probably try to claw your own eyes out. Because you'll just be, like, your, your fucking mind is going nuts around these things. And they, they make your powers completely muted. So the Thousand Suns are all psychic. 
Yeah, exactly. That was a thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, and so the Space Wolves brought the Sisters of Silence with them, and they muted all of the Legion's librarians, <laughs> so this, they couldn't yeah. do any psychic shit. Um, the Thousand Sons were completely unable to push the wolves back, so they finally relented and decided to use the, their like forbidden knowledge they have to unleash a dark and forbidden form of sorcery on their attackers. Like, as opposed to just using basic psychic abilities, they were like, fuck it, we know about these, like, evil dark sorcery that we've been forbidden from ever yeah, touching. Yeah, yeah. That's our only option, that's what we gotta do. Ironically, by doing that, they actually cemented their position as traitors and justified the attack. Because they were being attacked uh. because the Emperor believed that they were dangerous psychers that had been doing this shit. They never were doing this shit. But now they are but now, doing this now shit. now they had to do the shit to defend themselves. Um, despite the uh, initial assault from the Sisters of Silence, the Thousand Sons did manage to rally, and they thinned the ranks of the Sisters enough that they could use their powers more effectively. Like, they were able to kind of push them back enough briefly to really use their powers and then start decimating mm. shit. Uh, so the Thousand Sons launched, like, a very short counterattack, but they were met by Lehman Russ himself. So the fucking Wolf King, arri okay. Wolf King arrives on the battlefield surrounded by Wolfen. Uh, Wolfen are... You know how the, the Blood Angels have the Black Rage? Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think it's quite the same, but Wolfen are basically space wolves that are, like, batshit insane and more wolf than they are man. So right, Lehman, go yeah. So Lehman, they're berserkers. That's essentially that's effectively what they are. Lehman Rush shows up on the battlefield surrounded by Wolfen. So the Thousand Sons are like, "Well, we're fucked." Um, <laughs> a guy named Azek Araman, who's the chief librarian of the Thousand Sons, he takes the few remaining Thousand Sons and takes them into retreat, heading back toward the tower that Magnus is hiding in. Uh, and they're kind of, like, outside, like, crying for him and pleading that, like, like please come to us. Like, we need your assistance. We need, like, look what's happening. Yeah, do something. Yeah, like, fucking stop crying, you bitch. <laughs> um, so Magnus finally appears. He, like, he can't stand it anymore. He can't stand hearing his sons crying for him. So he finally makes himself known. And as he, like, steps out onto, I don't know, his fucking veranda or something, he comes out of his tower and kind of a hush falls over the whole battle. Like, all the fighting stops for a moment. Because this man is giant even by Primarch standards. Like, he is a massive... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's red. He's got crazy flowing hair like a lion's mane. He's wearing Baroque gold power armor. He's glistening, right? Everybody's just like, what the fuck, right? He's magnificent. So this hush falls over the battle, and the only people who don't stand in awe of him are fucking uh Lehman Russ himself and the two yeah. the two wolves like two literal wolves that he considers his brothers that follow him everywhere because he was raised by these wolves so Russ and his two wolves are the only ones that are not immobilized by seeing Magnus and they keep walking forward um once he emerges he uses his psychic power to slow down time and he issues his final order to Araman. He orders Araman to bring the remaining survivors into a place called the Pyramid of Fotep. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, the, basically, Prospero is basically Egypt, but, like, with forests. Yeah, okay, yeah. This is all pyramids and gleaming cities and shit. 
So he, he, he orders Aramin to bring the few survivors of the Thousand Sons inside the Pyramid of Fotep, where uh, a guy named Amon, or Amon, is waiting to give Aramin an important gift to take away from the dying planet, mm. right? Because he's basically like, the battle's lost, you need to go talk to my equerry, and he has something for you. It's important that you get it and get it out of here. Uh, uh. He then explains to Aramin that every single suit of power armor in the Thousand Sons Legion has a, like all all the thousand suns they have a scarab on their chest like a scarab symbol with a okay. with like a jade crystal in the middle of it and he explains very egyptian very egyptian but he explains that these these jade crystals are magical effectively <laughs> essentially magic magic gems that have t- been taken from a special cave on prospero and he says to Aramin, he says at some future point at some point in the future you will know when this is supposed to happen and you will know why or you you will know when you were supposed to do this and you will know what is going to happen when you do it but you when when you know that this is supposed to happen you need to concentrate all of your psychic energy on these crystals like not just the one on oh. your armor but think about all the crystals in the whole legion and focus on them it's just like you'll you'll know okay. when the time comes do that and so armin's like that's fucking cryptic but okie doke and he falls back into the pyramid of Fotep with the Thousand Suns, and Magnus restores time to its normal flow. Yeah. Inside the pyramid, there's thousands of people. Like, not just the, the Legion, but there's like all, just thousands of soldiers, civilians, regular humans, all exhausted and terrified and trying to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Thousand Suns are only a thousand men left. It's less than a tenth of what their initial force was. Um, here, also, they've been completely decimated, the Thousand Sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Armin sees Ammon, and he's given something called the Book of Magnus, and it's a tome containing the entirety of Magnus's knowledge, and Ars is that Magnus has no intention of surviving. He's like, Magnus has accepted that he dies here. Because okay. he's giving me all his knowledge, and he wants me to keep this safe, so he has no intention of living. Uh, Magnus and Russ, Liam and Russ, meet each other on the battlefield, and they get isolated from everything else by this, like, magical storm that starts raging around them, probably because of, uh, Magnus. Like, it said, it said that, like, lightning was shooting out of the ground itself, and I think the ground they were on actually lifted, like, out, like, out of the earth. I I think. Oh, crap. But so they're, they're fighting each other, um... Uh, it says they're fighting high above the causeway that led to the Pyramid of Fotep. Russ runs, Russ runs in, beats the shit out of Magnus. Like, just beats him senseless with his bare fists, breaking his armor. Like, he fucking, like, broke his oh, wow. best breastplate with his bare fists. Magnus struck back with blasts of warp fire that cracked Russ's armor back and set his hair on fire. Wow. So Russ's armor starts cracking under the heat, and his hair is now on fire. Uh, but because they're both Primarchs, they're pretty equally matched. Like, each hit yeah, is either yeah. blocked or immediately returned. <laughs> Magnus ends up driving his fists into the wolf's chest, like, into Russ's chest, punching, yeah, yeah. punching through his fucking armor and sending fragments of, like, the armor's ceramite into Russ's heart. <laughs> that's how hard he hit him. Oh. He fucking fragmented his armor into That's his hardcore. Arm. That's pretty hardcore. Russ returns this by breaking Magnus's arm, shattering the bone into thousands of pieces. 
<laughs> As equal, of course. Yeah, these guys really don't like each other. Uh, Magnus, <laughs> like right after he breaks his arm, Magnus's other arm materializes like a magical force energy blade type thing in his other hand. And he drives it through Lehman Russ's torso, <laughs> which caused him to roar out in pain, which is fucking nuts that a, a Primarch would cry in pain uh the roar yeah, yeah, yeah. the roar of pain was met by howls from his two wolf brothers which then caused the wolves to leap onto magnus and they bit down on his legs magnus immediately responds by slamming his fist into one of their skulls pushing it into the ground and shattering its skull and then he just grabs the other one tears it off his leg and throws it like a hundred feet like, just fucking picks up a, a... These aren't regular wolves, either. These things are, like, the size of a car. He just picks the other yeah, wolf yeah. up and throws it over Russ's head and over the heads of the guys fighting on the ring outside of them. Um, Russ is now angered that his two wolves are dead, so he jumps on Magnus <laughs> and just starts, like, wildly, blindingly attacking him with a fucking axe. Um... Just by like random luck, managed to land a blow against Magnus's one remaining eye because Magnus only has one eye, and luckily Russ man Russ managed to hit him with his fucking axe in his eye. Um, Magnus is weakened and stunned by this. I don't think he was fully blinded, but he was like the fact of the matter is he just took a goddamn axe to the fucking eyeball. He's he's gonna need a minute to deal with this, right? Uh, well, hold on, hold on. What? No, Hold on, time out. Unfair. No eye shots. No, he fucking... <laughs> he, he hits him in the eye. Magnus kind of stumbles back and is like, Ow, my eye, you dick. And Russ sees this as like, I have a moment. He's like, I have a fucking moment where he can't retaliate for a second. So he... Did you see The Dark Knight? <laughs> yes. With Bane? Yeah. Yeah, he does what Bane did to Batman. He basically grabs fucking Magnus, lifts him up, and just brings him down over his knee. <laughs> Breaking his back, the crack of which was like ear shattering. <laughs> Apparently, like everybody heard that. It it caused the thousand like the thousand sons inside the pyramid heard it and were like, oh fuck, we're done. <laughs> Dad's dead. <laughs> fuck. Um he throws Russ's or Magnus's like fucking broken ass body to the fucking ground, and then he takes out his his axe and he's about to bring it down on Russ's head and take his head as a trophy, like cut his head off. And I guess I guess yeah, Araman yeah. during this battle, Azek Araman is like standing off to the side, like watching all this fucking happen for some reason. And like right before, like as he's lifting the axe in the air but preparing to cut his head off. Magnus, like, turns his his gaze over to Araman, and he just, like, kind of whispers. He's like, this is my last gift to you. And right before the axe hits Magnus's neck, he whispers some spell, some eldritch fucking Lovecraft language, and his body just disappears. <laughs> and uh. Russ's axe just hits the ground. He's like, what the fuck? And then Araman feels a sudden surge of power in his body. As soon as Magnus disappears, he feels something inside himself growing more powerful. And then he knows what he has to do. So he like grabs, oh. the, he grabs the jade scarab on his armor. Yeah. And he thinks of all the matching ones on every suit of power armor in, in the Legion. And he kind of 
focuses this power he's feeling to all of them. So he's, he's channeling whatever this new energy is. He's sending it through the entire Legion to a thousand people. What happened there is with his dying breath, Magnus was able to sacrifice his own life energy to teleport not just the Legion, but the entire city of Tizka out of what was happening. He was able to teleport it out of the violence brought upon, brought upon them by the uh, wolves and onto the Daemon yeah. world known as the Planet of Sorcerers inside of the Warp. And by doing this, he huh. was able to preserve all of the sacred forbidden knowledge that they had, and he was able to save all of his people from death, but it cost them all their souls. That's the burn yeah, that's yeah. that's the burning of Prospero. So basically the, the imagine like he whispers this, the spell happens, Armin does his thing, and the battle just ends. Because all of yeah, a sudden yeah. the whole city's just gone. And the wolves are like, yeah, What just the like... fuck? Right? So that's the Battle of Prospero. That happened in uh, in 004 M31, okay? 005.M31 yeah. is the Battle of Istvan III. This is the first battle that can be considered part of the Horus Heresy. This was fought am entirely amongst the traitor legions. There were no loyalists here. This is just traitor legions fighting themselves. Um... 15 years prior to this, so 15 years before the Battle of Isvan III, Corvus Korax of the Raven Guard, he and his legion brought Isvan III into Imperial compliance. But okay. Istvan was a planet that had, like, a military culture, and all of its soldiers yeah. were, like, very professional and very well-disciplined. And they didn't break easily, even when confronted with like the might brought down to them or brought upon them by the Space Marines. They they were fucking like very very defiant, but they were uh -huh. nevertheless beaten and forced into compliance. It just took a while. The planet's given over to a guy named Vardis Prawl to serve as governor, and he was uh, put in that position. Basically, because the emperor like personally wrote a letter saying he should do it, so the emperor like per the emperor himself personally vouched for this fucking guy to be governor. Um, wow. At some point, things on uh, on Istvan three got pretty bad because Prawl began ordering his garrisons to start tearing down all the temples and breach all the fucking like sealed vaults of the religious sites and stuff in an effort to break the hold that the suit that like religious superstition held on the people because he was mm -hmm. he was trying to better implement the imperial truth so he's basically like destroy all aspect of their religion here uh... at this point istvan was surrounded by warp storms meaning it was pretty much cut off from the greater imperium Six years after the last outgoing communication was heard, a Death Guard patrol ship was nearby, and they picked up a faint transmission from Istvan III, and they couldn't really tell what it was, but it made it clear that the people on Istvan had risen in rebellion against the Imperium because of what was happening. They were like, fuck you, no. you're not taking our religion. And the really crazy part is that Prawl, the government had collapsed, and Prawl had taken charge of the revolt the revolt so now prawl was traitored he was running the fucking revolt uh horus who is secretly a traitor now but he was still war master he was tasked by the emperor with ending this insurrection right 
and and he was the reason he was tasked with it specifically was because the emperor saw that this insurrection he saw it was a slight against the spirit of the great crusade because the great crusade had just ended and now there's this insurrection uh-huh. happening and he had personally endorsed prawl and he's like this fucking guy needs to be made example of so this yeah. this gave Horus a very unique opportunity he was able to bring all the the legions that he knew was loyal to him he was able to muster them in one place and rid them of any loyalist elements without suspicion because the planet is extremely remote and surrounded by warp storms so nobody's going to be able to see what happens yeah, yeah, yeah. so he calls upon the death guard the emperor's children and the world eaters to join his sons of horus at the istvan system at the same time, because he's still War Master, he orders Gilliman, Sanguinus, and Lionel Johnson to send their legions on a series of missions in the f- like at the far end of the fucking Milky Way. Like he sends them as far away as he can, because he's like Gilliman, Sanguinus, and Lionel Johnson are the most loyal fucking three people to the. Emperor. Yeah, they won't fail. They won't fall. Yeah, he's yeah. like they need to fucking go. He's like I need them on the far end of the M- Imperium so they can't see what's happening over here. Um, because they were the three most powerful, and he just needed them gone. The Night Lords, the Alpha Legion, Iron Warriors, Raven Guards, Salamanders, and Iron Hands were all elsewhere conducting unrelated business, and Horus was still unsure where all their loyalties lied. The Word Bearers were the ones that corrupted Horus, and their whole legion was corrupted, so Horus wasn't concerned that they needed to be culled. He was like, there's no loyalists. Nah. He's like, they, they don't have fucking loyalists. Erebus took care of the loyalists. Um... <laughs> The Imperial Fists and the White Scars, Horus wasn't sure who was in charge, or who, uh, like, where their loyalties lied, but they were also too close to the Emperor, and they were both operating inside, uh, the Soul System, and he's like, I just, if I contact them, I'll put myself in danger. And at this point, the Wolves of the Thousand Suns were contently murdering each other in Prospero at this point, so he's like, can't even talk to them. Uh, the lead, the leaders of each of those four legions. So again, that was the uh, Iron. Sorry, I completely forgot. Um, da, 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 da. It was the Death Guard, the Emperor's Children, and the World Eaters. So the leaders of those yeah. three legions, plus Horus himself as leader of the Sons of Horus. He, mm-hmm. he tasked them all with hand-picking individual squads from their legions to act as the first wave of the assault on onto Istvan Three, And this deviated massively from the standard procedures. Because normally when they're doing an initial assault, they take an entire company to do this job. But now they're just like, no, we're going to yeah. hand-pick squads. And the other weird part is you're not just hand-picking squads, but you're like hand-picking people from different places to make those yeah, squads, yeah, yeah. right? Um, the plan was that this initial wave is made up entirely of the perceived loyalist elements. And that as soon as they made Planetfall, they were going to drop a virus bomb on them and kill them. But there was one small problem. Oh. There's one problem with this. A guy named Saul Tarvitz, who's the captain of the Emperor's Children's 10th Company, he was leading part of the assault on the ground, and he was kind of curious why a guy named Eidolon who Eidolon was uh, more or less taking charge of the Emperor's children because Fulgrim at this point had been tasked with Hor- or by Horus to go try and corrupt Ferris Manus. Because Fulgrim was best buddies with Ferris Manus. And so yeah. during this whole thing, he's like, Fulgrim, go deal with Ferris Manus. Uh, Eidolon, you're going to take fucking Fulgrim's position in this. 
But Eidolon was this notorious glory hog who was always trying to be... Like, anything that had glory in it, he wanted it. Right? Uh, and yeah. this Saul Tarvitz, the captain, he was curious why Eidolon, the guy who was always leading the assault, was not leading the assault. He's like, why is this guy not taking part in this thing? He also noticed that all the first wave, like all the members of the first wave squads, seemed to be like randomly picked. Which again was yeah, weird. Yeah, how yeah. I said, instead of like, you know how you have your Devastator Marines and your Tactical Marines and stuff? He was like, yeah, why yeah. do I have a guy from like a heavy, uh, like a fucking close combat company or a close combat squad in the same squad as a guy from a Tactical Squad and a Devastator Squad? From a different chapters, it's like all mixed match. It's not different chapters. It's from within the Legion. Well, from the yeah, yeah, but uh, from within the Legion. No. Yeah, so within like the Emperor's Children Legion, he's like, why? He's like, I know that Bill, Bob, and Jenny are all tactical Marines, but for some and they belong together. But for some reason, they took Bob the tactical Marine and put him in with Mo the Devastator and Jimmy the close combat guy and they're in a squad together he's like that doesn't make sense their specialties don't complement each other they don't yeah. have any crossover of skills they're they're separate people that do separate jobs so saul starts noticing he's like that, that why are these organized like this there's something going on here this is not normal this is a problem and so he manages to like not get deployed and he hides, like, as they all go down to the planet, Saul stays behind and hides on board a ship called the Andronius and just stumbles across a whole bunch of virus bombs that have recently been armed. And then he notices that the ship is slowly moving itself into position for an orbital bombardment as, as all the other guys are going down. So he's like, well, fuck it. He steals a Thunderhawk and makes his way down to the planet to warn everybody. Um, on the planet's surface, Saul warns a guy named Lucius, another uh, captain from the Emperor's Children, who then relays the message to the rest of the ground forces. And not everyone managed to escape. The fucking virus bombs came down and a lot of space marines died, but enough were warned about it that they were able to hide in bunkers or like deep caves and catacombs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sometime later, I don't know how long, they come out of their hidey holes and find that the entire planet has been killed all the way down to single-celled life. Like, there's nothing left alive on this planet. So at this point, Saul takes command of all the remaining Loyalist elements, alongside uh, Garviel, Loken, and Tarek Torgaden of the Luna Wolves, uh, or the Sons of Horus, and they hold out for three months in a brutal siege that's uh, brought down on them from the four legions led by Mortarion and Angron. Um, oh, shit. What's kind of funny about this, though, is Saul taking command of this legion, or of the forces, made Lucius jealous. So he turned traitor, and Lucius became Lucius, <laughs> Lucius, became Lucius the Eternal, um, who's actually the playable model for, like, he's the Karn the Betrayer or Typhus. He's the equivalent of them for Emperor's Children. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> in that same year, 005.m31, uh, so Saul escaped the Andronius, as I mentioned, right, in the Thunderhawk to go warn his buddies on planet. As mm -hmm. he's doing this, he, radi he, has, he has a good buddy on another, on another ship 
who who uh, he he has a good buddy in the Death Guard. So he radios his buddy in the Death Guard, a guy named uh, Nathaniel Garrow, who's on board a ship called the Eisenstein. He contacts him while he's in his Thunderhawk making it down to planet, and he's like, "Yo, Garrow, um, they're gonna bomb everybody. <laughs> it's like these guys aren't good anymore." watch out like they might be after you because you seem like a pretty good guy myself so garrow starts investigating what's happening on the eisenstein and he realizes that they also have a dick load of virus bombs that they've also armed and they're also positioning themselves for an orbital bombardment (laughs) as he does familiar yeah so as he discovers this he also begins to realize that basically everyone who's not him or his company on board the Eisenstein were preparing to kill him and his company. (laughs) They were preparing to (laughs) deal with him. And so before they had the chance, Garo and his company killed everybody on board that fucking ship and took control of it. Uh, They take on a handful of loyalist refugees from, I think, the uh, Vengeful Spirit, which is Horus's ship. Basically, they like a handful of people on Horus's ship kind of realized what was happening too, and they fled. And they got to the Eisenstein, and Garrow managed to take them on. And among them, importantly, there were a number of Remembrancers. And Remembrancers are the 40k equivalent of like historians. And because of that, mm-hmm. everything that happened at Isvan was able to be recorded in history. It's important that those guys got away. Um, but basically he takes on some refugees and then he takes the Eisenstein and he's like, we're fucking out of here. <laughs> he, he makes a desperate, <laughs> he makes like a desperate run toward Terra to warn the emperor of what has happened here. Um, while he's in the warp though, his Geller field briefly flickers out and that allows Nurgle to work his stinky magic and start reanimating the dead Marines on board the ship. Which, um, yeah, I imagine that leads to just all sorts of zany shenanigans. But in, like, a death... Basically, like, keep in mind, these guys don't really know what chaos is, and now all of a sudden there's dead men walking around, and so... Yeah, people coming back alive. Yeah, so Garo's like, okay, I don't know what we're doing. We need to make an emergency, like, stop. And so he, like, forces the ship out of the warp into real space. But this, like, emergency... Like, because of the way they did it, you know how the, the ships, when they're in the warp, the navigator is controlling them with yeah. his mind, effectively? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the, like, way that they left the warp, how suddenly it was, it, it effectively fried the navigator's mind. Like, <laughs> like it basically made his brain break. So they, could, they couldn't navigate anymore. But by doing this, it did make all the dead guys disappear. But now the Eisenstein is stranded. In space, floating with He's no just navigator. floating around, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Garo decides to jettison all the warp engines and detonate them. And it creates a very crude beacon because it's just this massive like, nuclear explosion out in space. <laughs> Luckily, the Imperial Fists notice the blast and they come across uh, the Eisenstein and they take Garo and his men aboard the Phalanx, their star fortress, and uh, yeah. basically rescue them um they go to luna like earth's moon and dorn yeah. orders that the entire crew he rescued from the eisenstein be interred within a place called the somnus citadel basically he puts them all in prison or rogel dorn because oh. he's like I, he's like i don't know what's happening he's like there's a bunch of dead guys on the uh, ship and they're talking about 
treason and I don't know what's happening, so you fuckers all have to go in jail till I can figure out what the fuck's going on. The Somnus Citadel is specifically the headquarters of the Sisters of Silence. So he locks them up there. Unfortunately, one of Garo's men was terminally ill from the warp fuckery that had happened. Like, he caught some sort of disease when they were in the warp. And while he's in the Citadel, he gives in to Nurgle. And he mutates into a dangerous monster. The monster gets loose, kills a whole shitload of the Sisters of Silence and the remaining loyalist Death Guard members, and Nathaniel Garrow manages to kill the monster. And after this incident, Hmm. uh, basically that kind of proved Garrow's loyalty. Uh, Sometime after this incident, that citadel, the Somnus Citadel, becomes the base of operations for the Knights Errant. Which the Knights Errant were the precursor to the Grey Knights, and Nathaniel Garrow was one yeah. of the first members. Um, yes. Still, same year, we're still in 005.m31. Uh, meanwhile, on Mars, um, what do you know about the background? Like, what do you know about the Omnisaw and the Mechanicum? Well, they kind of are the guardian of. The technology kind of yes. thing. They are the one who are uh, called salvage, repair, uh, yeah. like equip people with power armor. They are like the engineers. What, what do you know of their religion, though? Well, they praise the not they praise the machine, but they all they like. Well, you're not wrong. Not the... ba- basically, Mars before Earth, but before mankind left Earth, Mars was controlled by the Mechanicus, right? And they worshipped the yeah. Machine God. And the Machine God's prophet yes. is called the Omnisia, or Omnisia, okay? So they worship the yeah. Machine God, and they're waiting for the Omnisia to, to come to them. Uh, the Emperor typically would find places that had religion and shut that shit down, but he gets to Mars, and he's like, we can't fight them. They have way too much tech. He's yeah. like, in, in the event where we win, everything they have is destroyed, and we need all the things they have. So this is the one case where the Emperor allowed religion to stay, was yes. was on Mars. But in order to work it with the Imperial Truth, because he still needed the Imperial Truth to be a thing, and the Martians needed a reason to, to follow the Emperor, basically they come to an agreement that the Emperor of Mankind is the Omnissiah. Uh, that's what it is yeah so so mars doesn't belong to the imperium that's a very important distinction mars is an independent state that is allied with the imperium and all the forge all the forge worlds throughout the galaxy belong to mars and they are allied to the imperium right they don't belong to the imperium Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but basically they had this little fucking loophole where they're like we only believe in the machine god and the omnissiah but the Emperor of Mankind is the Omnissiah. That That's how they, they made friends. For a long time, yeah. because of this, there were tensions on Mars between the various Magi and the factions that were under those Magi because of the difference of opinion they all had on mm-hmm. the Omnissiah and the Emperor no, yeah, yeah. and the Imperium. The Fabricator General of Mars, so the boss of Mars, maintained that the Emperor is not the Omnissiah and that he was a false idol. And that they were worshipping him falsely. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He also held great resentment toward the Imperium. And, and specifically f- 
toward the Emperor for turning Mars into what was essentially a massive arms factory for the Great Crusade and for banning things like AI. Because the Emperor banned AI, so the Emperor, and so the Fabricator General was like, fuck you, man, that's some neat technology. This guy named Regulus was a representative sent by the Mechanicum to serve the War Master Horus, right? Yeah. Uh, Regulus allowed Horus to quietly ensure the allegiance of the Fabricator General in the coming war. So in 005 M31, uh, Horus sent Regulus back to Mars to demonstrate his commitment to the alliance between the Mechanicum and the Traitor Legions and to reinforce the advantages of staying in that alliance. So he sent him there just as a reminder of like, hey, side with me, you're going to be on the right side of history, basically. As a result of the information provided to the fact, basically he's like, I know secrets. Regulus, go tell these secrets. Um, The secrets that Regulus gave the Fabricator General, because of Horus, was that... uh, there's this area on Mars that had been long forgotten called the Vaults of Moravec. And yeah. the information Horus gave him through Regulus allowed the Fabricator General to access these vaults. This place was an archive of forbidden knowledge and technology, and it had been sealed by the Emperor, like, fucking long time ago. Once it opened up, once the Fabricator General opened it, it became clear that everything inside was corrupted by chaos. And by opening the vault, the chaotic taint was able to immediately spread across Mars, and a type of demonic computer virus called the Lingua Diabolis rap code began affecting every machine on the planet. Um, Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, big shit. It shut down all communication, it ushered in a period of general chaos and confusion, and it allowed the Fabricator General to prepare his forces. Uh... In an effort to avoid obvious guilt, though, like, the Fabricator General didn't want to, like, openly oppose anything right away. He didn't want to openly declare war. He had yeah, yeah, yeah. he had to maintain some sort of pretense to the war that he was planning, right? Uh, so he did what he could to provoke the other Magi on the planet that refused to side with him into attacking first. Like, he used the differences of opinions Uh. between everyone to try and manipulate other people into attacking him so that everything he did was just defense, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But finally, there's this woman named Coriel Zeth. Uh, She's the mistress of Magma City on Mars. She openly declared non-belief in the Machine God and openly, like, supported the Imperium. So not only... The problem here is that... The Fabricator General says the Emperor's not the Messiah, but he's still deeply religious, and he's like, the Machine God's still a thing. Coriel yes. Zeth is like, the Emperor is the be-all, end-all, and also your religion is stupid. This was enough of a pretense for the Fabricator General to openly, like, attack Coriel Zeth. Yeah. Right? So now, without openly declaring, w- without making it obvious that there's a fucking heresy happening... The Fabricator General is openly supported by Horus. And their forces together attack Coriel Zeth, whose forces are openly supported by the Loyalist Imperium. But they, the, Loyalists, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Loyalists don't know that the people they're fighting are actually treason. They think they're fighting a proxy war. Yeah. Right? Um, so that, that kicked off the schism of Mars. 
the next year, in 006 M31, is the Istvan V drop site massacre. Yeah. So, remember I mentioned that Fulgrim had fucked off because he was going to go talk to Matt Ferris Manus? Yes, tried to convince him he, uh, to join him. Yeah, so Ferris Manus is the leader of the Iron Hands, and he's best buddies with Fulgrim. Like, they're really, really tight. They're, they're like Sanguinous and Horus. Fulgrim and Ferris are, are like that. Um, so, because of their closeness, Horus tasked him specifically with corrupting Ferris Manus to, to Horus's cause. He failed miserably, and he was forced to fight Ferris Manus to make his escape. Uh, Ferris Manus manages to, like, basically, Fulgrim has to fight Ferris Manus just in order to get away safely, right? As soon as uh, uh, Fulgrim's gone, Ferris Manus goes to the Soul System with news of what's happening. And at this point, it pretty much cements, you know what, there's there's treason happening, because first Magnus had sent a, a message to the Emperor, and the Emperor's like, ah, I don't believe you. And then yeah. this Nathaniel Garrow guy shows up, and he's like, guys, guys, fucking Istvan 3 is happening, Horus is nuts, and everyone's like, I, what the fuck are you talking about? And now Ferris Manus, who they're like, okay, he's a Primarch, and he's not Magnus, we can listen to him. He's like, yeah, no, <laughs> listen to Nathaniel Garrow, fucking shit's happening. Um, so everybody's like, okay, uh, fucking Horus has fallen. <laughs> this is bad. This is real bad. There's shit happening on yeah. Istvan, we need to go deal with them. Um, Malkador places Rogaldorn in command of the Imperial military, and an order was given to create a strike force of seven fucking legions. Seven entire Space Marine legions <laughs> were sent to destroy the traitors in the Istvan system. So they assembled the Iron Hands, the Salamanders, the Raven Guards, the Word Bearers, the Night Lords, and the Iron Warriors, and the Alpha Legion. All together to go to, uh, to go to Istvan. Meanwhile, Horus sends Fulgrim from Istvan 5, or from Istvan 3 to Istvan 5, uh, which is another nearby planet, specifically to a place called the Urgle Depression. So on Istvan 5, there's an area called the Urgle Plateau, right? Which is like a volcanic yeah. plateau. On the Urgle Plateau, there's a ravine, like a really big ravine called the Urgle Depression. It's this volcanic valley. He sends Fulgrim to the Urgle Depression, yeah. and he's ordered to make a massive defensive network of trenches, fortification, and fortifications. And, and the Urgle Depression already has like pre-existing complexes and stuff in it, so he's just got to go reinforce these and dig trench networks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he kind of argues a little bit about it because Fulgrim's like a pretty boy and doesn't want to be digging fucking holes in the mud. And he's like, <laughs> he's like fucking. Uh, Perturabo is much more suited to this job, and, and Horus is like, you're... Because he's a perfectionist, Fulgrim. Horus is like, you're the only one I trust to make this perfect. In reality, yeah, yeah. he was probably just a little pissed off at him for what happened with Ferris Manus. But he was like, you're the only one I can trust to do this, because you're so good at what you do. Go do this. Yeah. <laughs> and so he sends, uh, he sends fucking Fulgrim, a handful of Emperor's children, and... Uh, the dark mechanicum forces that he has with him to go build this massive network the battle of istvan 3 comes to a close most of the, the loyalist forces are dead and horus repositions his forces on istvan 5 among this defense network that they built yeah um so this force is 
it's I, I saw that it said thirty thousand. I don't think it's thirty thousand. I think it's in the hundreds of thousands of Marines are here because you've got the entirety of the Sons of Horus, the Emperor's Children, the Death Guard, and the World Eaters, yeah, alongside yeah, yeah. millions and millions of people from the Imperial Army and a Titan Legion, yeah. an, an entire Titan Legion called the Legio Mortis are here. Like they're ready for war. The Salamanders and the Raven Guard are the first ones to arrive at Isfahan Five, and disconcertingly, they find the entirety of local space deserted. So they're able to achieve orbital, hmm. like they're able to get orbital superiority without any effort. They start conducting observation and reconnaissance, and they realize that the traders have positioned themselves in a way that they're so well defended, it would require an entire, like a full-scale ground assault to, to effectively rout them. They're like, there's, there's, deal with them, yeah. like, the only way we can deal with them is we have to land everything and attack them head-on. Um, <laughs> shortly after that, the Iron Hands arrive, and then Vulcan, Korax, and uh, Ferris Manus start kind of talking amongst each other, trying to make a plan. And they hesitate initially to begin the assault, because their orders specifically stated that seven legions have to make the attack. They're like, seven legions should, should attack as one singular force. Because, like, the, the enemy is so massive, right? Um, yeah. And they realize that without this additional support, they couldn't achieve a decisive victory. But then they kind of, they, they receive word that the remaining forces, the remaining four legions, would arrive within, like, a couple hours out of the warp. And so Ferris Madness yeah. manages is to convince Corvus Corax and Vulcan that they should immediately attack. Because he's like, you know what, our help's coming, we can get to work right now. The others will be here in a few hours. Yeah. So the traders are extremely well dug in behind their defense lines. All their heavy artillery and anti-air weapons are far to their rear outside of any immediate danger. But the Titan Legion has positioned its forces at the very front. Like, at the very front of the defense line, there's these massive walking <laughs> cathedrals. So the Titans have made it very clear that they're intent on engaging the attackers at Real, as soon at, as, uh... at very close range the battles open by an orbital bombardment so they basically start just blasting the shit out of the defense line at the same time they're dropping drop pods and the reason they did this yeah. is the the orbital bombardment isn't really doing anything but it's screening the drop pods from the anti-air guns and from the titans so the drop pods are able to come down under fire of of the orbital bombardment, so yeah, the yeah, AA, it's smokes and yeah, the AA guns can't get them. Basically, this is a distraction. Yeah, um, unfortunately, uh, the uh, basically immediately, like the the fucking drop pods hit down, and as soon as the doors open, they're immediately suppressed by the fucking Titans. Not even, not even Titans. I don't even. It said it was a Titan Legion. I think it was a single Titan called the Dias Are, which means the something like the Day's End or fucking something like that. But point is, a single Titan just opened up on all the loyalists as they're dropping, and within like the first few minutes, hundreds of Space Marines died. Like, like this yeah. thing just opened hell on them. Despite this, they did manage to gain their footing, and they began a very slow, grinding advance toward the traitor forces. There was a whole lot of specifics to this part, but basically, 
they made a continual slow advance, but the whole thing was kind of two steps forward, one step back. Like they push forward uh, a little bit, and then the traders pushed them back, and then they'd go forward a bit more, and then get pushed back a bit. But they they continued to advance. The trader forces put up a considerable fight, but the loyalists were supported by heavy armor brigades. That uh, once the heavy armor landed as like kind of a second wave, um, they opened fire like focused direct fire on the Titan, which shut down its void shields and actually became a threat to the Titan. So the Titan had to stop killing infantry and turn its focus onto the tanks entirely. So the Titan was now fully distracted, so the infantry were able to do infantry yeah. shit. Yeah. By about three hours into the battle, the uh, the whole conflict started to break down. Instead of being one big onslaught, it turned into a series of disorganized and disjointed combats that were scattered. Uh-huh. So it was little little groups of people killing each other. But luckily for the Loyalists, their support now arrived. So as they're all fighting each other, the Word Bearers, the Iron Warriors, the Night Lords, and the Alpha Legion all landed on the like pre-designated landing zone that they had planned yeah, for. Yeah. They immediately fortify it and secured the flanks of the plateau. And now because they're in this depression and they're looking up at the plateau, the traders just see, holy shit, there's about 300 or 400,000 more space marines behind a fortress on a plateau overlooking us. And so the, for- the, the traders decide, fuck this, we're retreating, and they fall back into the defense lines. Even the Titan fell back with them. And, and even Angron. Like, Angron's out there butchering this. He sees that shit, he's like, no, fuck it, we're all turning around, Get everybody back behind the fence. Um... At this point, there was a bit of contention. The Salamanders and the Raven Guard, specifically Vulcan and, and Corvus Corax, decided that, you know what, we have a newly reinforced position. We're going to fall back to where the uh, our buddies have shown up. We're going to resupply and we're going to renew our attack with our allies. Because they're, they're so beaten and bruised by this point that they're like, we need to fall back behind the line. Then, we'll, uh, we'll get more ammo, we'll take a minute to breathe, we'll get the guys who just landed, and we'll renew the attack. But Ferris Manus is like, no, fuck this, we're continuing the attack. <laughs> Specifically because he, he's, he's mad at Fulgrim. And he's like, I want to deal with Fulgrim. So at this point, they separate. All right. Salamanders and Ravenguard, they fall back. But the Iron Hands, they continue the attack on their own. Um... So, while the Salamanders and the Raven Guard are falling back, they're getting closer and closer to the landing zone that the their reinforcements have set up. Their yeah. their Vox casters, the radios they have that they're talking mm-hmm. that they're talking to their new allies with, they shut off. Like they lose contact with the guys that just arrived. And right when that happens, they're like, "What the fuck?" And then they look behind them and they see a single flare shoot up out of Horus's command center. And then as soon as that flares up in the sky, the guys that just landed open fire on them. So the wow. word bears, the night lords, Alpha Legion, Iron War, like the, all of them, they just open fire on the Salamanders and the Raven Guard. Um, it it completely decimated them. Like it fucking like most of them yeah. died. Oh, yeah. Most of them died just from that because they were like, "What the fuck just happened?" Right? They had no idea. At the same time, the traitor, the, the, the legions that had retreated back into their, their defense line, 
now turned around and moved in on the Iron Hands, who were now by themselves. Right? They were kind of getting ahead before because they were fighting, they had three full legions. Now it's, those two legions are behind you and largely killed. And now the entire fucking traitor force is attacking head-on the Iron Hands. And they killed them to the last man. They killed almost every <laughs> oh. single one of the Iron Hands, and Fulgrim beheaded Ferris Manus. He cut his fucking head off. That moment, uh-huh. that moment, killing his friend, uh, broke Fulgrim. He, he's immediately horrified at what he did, and this guilt that he has allowed a demon to take control of his mind, and the, the being that was Fulgrim ceased to be at that point. Huh. Fulgrim, that's the interesting thing, is is at that point, Fulgrim didn't really fall to chaos. The Fulgrim that existed from that point on was was a demon, another living entity inside Fulgrim's mind. Yeah, that took over. Yeah. Fulgrim was completely gone at that point. The Salamanders and the Raven Guard are kind of, they're dying, but they're dying slowly. They're slowly falling to the traitors until the Dyrus Irae, the Titan, comes back. <laughs> so the, the fucking Iron Hands are all dead. The Salamanders and the Raven Guard are slowly dying, and then up over the hill comes a fucking Titan, and on either side of the Titan is Angron and Mortarion. And then Horus shows up as well with his personal god of Terminator personal guard of Terminators. Needless to say, this greatly sped up the killing process. Um, All right, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta keep going. (laughs) We don't have the whole day. It's done with it. Slowly killing them, and then Horus showed up, and he's like, "I'm on a schedule, guys. (laughs) Let's speed this shit up." Um, (laughs) Finally, as the Iron Warriors and the Raven, or the Salamanders and the Raven Guard are being brutally killed, uh, the Iron Warriors show up again, and they drop, like literally, they drop a tactical nuclear missile on Vulcan. I don't mean they shoot one like, oh, there's a whole dickload of salamanders. They're like, tactical nuclear missile, target Vulcan's fucking forehead. Drop this nuke on him. <laughs> uh, it killed everybody around him and more or less ended Vulcan's involvement in what was happening. Um, and then they turned their guns on the, like, dropships and carriers that brought down the first wave of troops. So now any chance of a retreat was gone, too. <laughs> nice yeah pretty pretty brutal a very small number of raven guards salamanders and a much much smaller number of iron hands did manage to get off world by jumping on board whatever ships they could uh yeah, yeah. corvus corax managed to board a thunderhawk but the thunderhawk was shot down and he wound up spending about I think it's like 98 days or something stranded on the planet with a handful of other survivors, mostly just hiding and conducting reconnaissance. Vulcan, after getting a nuke dropped on his head, uh, Vulcan's a perpetual, which means he can't die ever. Yeah. Um, so Vulcan, uh, nobody knew he was a perpetual, but he got nuked into nothing, and then his body slowly like rematerialized. He was secretly discovered by Conrad Kurz and became his prisoner on board uh, his flagship Nightfall, where he spent some quality time with his brother in the form of mind-warping torture sessions. Um, (laughs) It can be safely assumed that, like, probably around 500,000, if not more, Space Marines fought at this battle. Uh, 
a guy named Graham McNeil wrote a book. Um, I, I can't remember what book it was, but in the book he wrote, he claimed that there were 30,000 traders and 40,000 loyalists. Uh, sorry, that was in a book called Fulgrim by Graham McNeil. He said 30,000 yeah. traders, 40,000 loyalists. But the book's Raven's Flight and Deliverance Lost by a guy named Gav Thorpe, which came out much later, stated that the Raven yeah. Guard alone had 80,000 Marines. Okay, uh, wow, that's yeah, a that's, big, that's uh, more than the entire force in the other guy's book. So the Raven Guard alone supposedly had 80,000 Marines, and they lost 75,000 of them. Um, so it's wow. safe to say if the Raven Guard had 80,000 Marines, and you have 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 forces, there's, there's got to be at least five or 600,000 people there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the same year, 006 M41, uh, the schism on Mars kind of reached a boiling point, and Mars finally falls to the Dark Mechanicum, resulting in uh, the Imperium basically blockading it. They're like, yeah, fuck this. <laughs> you guys are done. They, 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 the, the, there's no war being fought there, but they're like, we're, we're blockading the entire planet. Yeah, they can't yeah, really yeah. do anything else. They're too powerful, right? Um, that goes into 007 M31. This is the Battle of Kelth. We're not going to cover this whole battle, but uh, just the important opening bit. So, at this point, Gilliman still had no fucking idea what was going on. <laughs> yeah, he was on yeah. an ambition on the opposite side of the yeah, galaxy. He was way the hell off doing his own thing. So, uh, Horus... Having like Hor Horus is feeling pretty fucking good about himself at this point, right? Uh, he decimated three entire legions. Basically, he took three whole fucking legions and reduced them to next to nothing, to a point where like the salamanders are still reeling from that in today's setting. Ugh, like that's yeah. how fucked they were. Uh, so after this happening, Horus is now like, okay, next threat, Gilliman. He's the biggest fucking problem at this point. I've, I've, I've severely crippled the Loyalists. I now gotta get rid of Gilliman. So, Big Bobby G, being on the other side of the fucking galaxy, he still hasn't heard what's happening yet, right? He's ordered by Horus to gather his forces on the planet of Kelth in Ultramar, uh, and Horus explains it's in preparation for what was supposedly an incoming orc incursion from a nearby system. Like a massive orc incursion. Uh. Horus also explained that the Ultramarines alone would not be enough to deal with the orcs, so he's like, you know what? I'm going to send the word bearers to back you up in defense of the planet. So the G-Man initially believes, he's like, this is a political move. Partially done because Horus wants to, like, he's still new to the position of War Master, right? And the Emperor recently left. So he's like, he's uh, he's doing this to cement his position as War Master. He's making an example of his authority by issuing commands to my legion, the largest legion, and showing that he can order us around. And he's also yeah, yeah, yeah. partly doing this because the word bearers are not really the greatest people. And by, by this is really funny, he's like, by letting them fight alongside my great legion, they're given a chance at glory again. He, that's what that's what he's thinking uh but he doesn't really see this as anything more than a simple political maneuver so old g-spot mobilizes about 20 fucking yeah 20 chapters of his legion out of the 22 so almost his entire legion sends him to kelf the word bearers 
this whole battle was basically just rep uh, retribution for what happened at Monarchia, which you remember what happened at Monarchia, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was a mix up I did earlier. It's yeah. the flooding of the city. Yeah, the the ultramarines burned down fucking Lorgar's favorite Everything. place. Yeah. In retrospect, there were a lot of signs that something was off. Uh, but the ultramarines, despite all of their tactical know-how, were blinded by their own egos and superiority complex to notice that the word bearers were never really their friends. <laughs> like they just couldn't perceive yeah. that like hey we burned down your thing and you don't love us why not um prior to their arrival the word bears hijacked a small ship called the campanile and killed its entire crew shortly after that they arrive at kelth and the word bears set about landing their space marines human auxiliaries and even fucking titans down to the surface followed by performing all sorts of chaos rituals and spreading scrap code throughout kelth's orbital fence network so that <laughs> chaos code they're doing little secret rituals and incantations and they're also uploading chaotic computer viruses to the defense network as soon as they showed up the rituals and this is why i say like the marines should have like the ultramarines should have maybe noticed something was happening the rituals caused widespread havoc across the planet uh presumably like storms and shit and all the former librarians yeah. that were still within the ultramarine legion who had now been reassigned to normal duties they all began experiencing migraines but they didn't talk about it because of that whole council of an ikea thing they were like no we, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. to forget we're psychic um and then approximately one hour before the battle begins fucking erebus also shows up so you know you know just this is gonna be a good time um so greasy boy is here it's gonna be fun yeah time. erebus shows up oh fuck something's happening uh the the opening second of the battle um in the ultramarines timeline for some reason like the ultramarines mark call it mark zero according to the ultramarines mark zero is when the battle of kelth began 20 minutes before mark zero the ship that the uh word bears had stolen the campanile it enters like the area and bypasses kelth's yeah. outer defense network and mm. as it bypasses, it accelerates its engines to maximum sublight speed. So it's moving as fast as it can without entering the warp. Simultaneously, at this exact same time, a word bearer's captain named Sorot Tachur boards an ultramarine cruiser called the Somothrace or Samothrace and kills its captain and 17 of his men. The Campanile then kamikazes itself into Kelth's primary shipyard destroying multiple warships, killing thousands of people in a period of about two seconds. <laughs> so, just wow. out of nowhere, a ship appears out of the warp, crashes into the shipyard, thousands of people died, and all the capital ships blew up. Um, nice! The resulting blast also had an, like an EMP effect that disabled all the remaining ships. And at the same time, the scrap code that the word bears had uploaded was now shutting down all the weapons grids. In the next ten, yeah, in the next ten seconds, the word bearers fully opened fire on the ultramarines' disabled ships. So the ultramarines are all sitting around these ships that aren't moving, and now there's shots being rained down on them. And the destroyed wreckage is falling down to the planet's surface and causing tsunamis and massive explosions on impact. Um, so keep in mind, this is in ten seconds' time. In ten seconds, everything went from peaceful to all hell broke loose. 
Yeah. Uh, the initial attack was so chaotic that the Ultramarines had no idea what was happening. They knew they were being attacked, but they didn't know by who, and they actually tried to contact the word bearers to be like, are you fucking seeing this? Um, the, <laughs> are you realizing what's happening? The result of this confusion is that two entire companies were completely slaughtered right out of the gate. <laughs> like, before they even had time wow. to to like retaliate two entire space marine companies died uh g money still being an egotistical dipshit uh believed that while the attack was actually coming from the word bearers he believed it was merely a result of a massive error on the part of poor stupid lorgar who in his mind was clearly too stupid to uh not <laughs> accidentally kill several thousand allies by mistake like, he, he literally just thought, oh, Lorgar, Lorgard's a dummy. He, he, he accidentally decimated my entire legion. Oopsie-daisy. Uh, wow. Yeah, his response to this is he opens up communication with Lorgar, and he's like, Lorgar, uh, bud, shooting the wrong guys, my dude. Please stop. And Lorgar's just like, lol, no. <laughs> and Gilliman then reluctantly orders a counterattack. This is Mark Zero. So this, this counterattack order, this is Mark Zero at the Battle of Kelth. Um, Gilliman, being Gilliman, spent the first hour or two of the battle, as everything's dying around him, he spends the first hour or two of the battle just trying to think of a reason that the, the word bears would attack him. You know, like maybe... Why? Maybe as revenge for maybe a city being burned or something. Like, he, he can't think of a reason. Um, oh, I thought we were best friends. Yeah, he's like, I burned down your city. I thought we we're buddies. Um, <laughs> this is the bit that kills me. He stumbled across some sort of evidence of the Campanile, the ship they hijacked. He yeah. stumbles across some sort of evidence of its being hijacked, like a transmission or something from them that showed that the word yeah. is hijacked. It. And at this point, he starts to maybe, like, he starts to slightly consider that, you know what, maybe Lorgar's been planning this attack that I'm experiencing. Maybe this is not a mistake. You know, he's been, he's been attacking me for several hours now. And he said, no, I'm not stopping. And things are beginning to fall in place here that this doesn't look like it's an accident anymore. Um, the, the best bit is Gilliman, ever the practical person, decides to take the time to actually give Lorgar a phone call and tell him, you know the ceasefire I was asking about three hours ago? I don't want it anymore. And and now I don't like you and I want to kill you. And Lorgar just said, like, hey, um, Istvan 3 happened and we killed three entire legions and uh, good luck. And then summons a swarm of demons to crash into Gilliman's bridge. <laughs> so a bunch of more shit happened after that but I think the highlight of the Battle of Kelf is that Gilliman was just a colossal dipshit in the opening moments of it like his ego was so massive that he couldn't understand that like Lorgar might be mad at him for some things he did one time yeah <laughs> um, after that, I don't have much notes. Uh, there's a lot more stuff, but I, I kind of skimmed over a lot of this. Um, one of the important ones is in 008M31, they tried to actually assassinate Horus, and it failed. Um, I, I don't know the full detail of why it failed, but I guess the assassination attempt somehow, like, unlocked hidden memories that Horus had. 
Yeah. And brought him to a place. I'm just trying to find it here. This is 008. Uh, Where the hell is it? Here we go. So he was... They tried to assassinate him with a guy named Shadrick Medicine, or Medusin, uh, at the Battle of Dwell. Uh, I don't know much about that. It's not really important. But the assassination attempt uh, allowed Horus to like regain this lost memory that yep. the Emperor... The Emperor got a lot of his knowledge of the warp from a, a planet called Moloch. Uh, what I remember mm-hmm. reading about this is that the Emperor went to this this place. It was like a very chaotically tainted planet. And he basically went there into a warp gate and con- like, like basically spoke to demons and made some sort of deal with the demons and that gave the, the Emperor even more power. Horus, oh, no. following this assassination attempt, remembers this. So he goes to this planet Moloch and oh. he manages to enter the same gate that that the emperor entered. The reason I'm bringing this up is you've seen the pictures of Horus before the heresy, right? Like he looked like a normal dude. Yeah, yeah. kind of. And then well, normal-ish. You know, he's just a big guy. But then yeah, the, yeah. No, the the heresy era Horus is he's got all those tubes up his nose and in his scalp. Yeah, and yeah. I think this is when that happened. Because it says that Horus entered this gate. And nobody knows what happened in there. Or he come out a different person. Yeah, or how long he had been in there. For for us, like if you were there watching this, he went into it and he was gone just probably a minute or two. But when he came out, he was visibly aged by like years. Years and years. So I imagine this is when all that hoses and stuff happened. Because for Horus... He was in the warp, and for him, it had been an eternity that he was in there. Right? But in our time, it only been uh, a few minutes. Um, yeah. But he came out, and uh, he he had amassed billions of demonic followers. It says he's won a thousand kingdoms in there. And he defied the chaos gods themselves. Uh, but... He forcibly was able to acquire the same powers that the Emperor had. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. So, Hor- Horus really got powerful here. Um, after that, uh, in 009 M31, the warp storms around space were getting bad. Because at this point, yeah. Erebus... The reason the warp storms were getting so bad was because Erebus was doing Erebus stuff again. He was uh, again, yeah. Basically, he was he was causing the warp storms by doing chaotic rit- rituals and stuff, um, mm-hmm. which managed to cut off most of Ultramar. This this warp storm yeah, was called yeah, yeah. the Ruin Storm, and it managed to basically take Ultramar and cut all of Ultramar off the five hundred worlds. It is at this point yeah, yeah. that Gilliman created the Imperium Secundus because he's like, I, I don't know what happened. He's like, we can't see we can't see the Astronomicon anymore. We can't contact Terra. I don't know if the Emperor's dead. All I know is we are alone and yeah. 
Horus has decimated all the other legions and is rampaging toward Earth. He's like, I have to operate on the assumption that the war is lost. And so this yeah. is when he declares the 500 worlds. Um, I remember we did talk about the 500 worlds a little bit in, or not the 500 worlds, yeah, but the, the Imperium Secundus a little bit in, in the first episode. Yes. Yeah, you remember most of it? No. No? But it's, uh, well, it just has his own, like, uh, not kingdom, but it's like it's the it only be, one. Yeah, that, the, uh, the idea is it's has, the second Imperium. Uh, yeah, exactly, because he thought the first one was down because it was uh, cut off everything, so he kind of made his own. Yeah, it, it, it was because he cut it, he was cut off from, from the real Imperium, and he's like, we have to yeah, carry yeah. on the legacy of it. Uh, so it's, it's effectively the 500 worlds of Ultramar. Um, and probably a couple more things because it's like most of the eastern fringe but it's just a second little empire um interestingly though Gilliman was not its head of state he did not appoint himself head of state he appointed Sanguinis head of state with the title Imperator Regis or Imperator huh. Regis which probably would have meant Imperial King um inside the 500 world so there's a lot of talk about like the the imperium secundus was gilliman turning traitor because he's like i'm good enough to run my own empire with blackjack and hookers yeah right? but within the imperium secundus were the ultramarines the blood angels the dark angels and a whole shitload of like various auxiliary guards and stuff yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> It was in the same year that the Dark Angels arrived in the Imperium Secundus, and I'm not 100% sure why or how they got there. I'm going to see if I can find that out. At this point, like I said, my notes have mostly run out, um, so I'm, I'm literally just on uh, the Lexicanon looking at some of these notes. But the, the Dark Angels arrive in the Imperium Secundus, and the funny thing here <laughs> is... Prior to this, at some point, um, was it before or after this? I think it was. I think it was before this. Uh, Lionel Johnson led a focused attack against the Night Lords. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was in zero zero nine M thirty one during something called the Thramis Crusade. Uh, the Night Lords were ambushed by the Dark Angels and scattered as a force. Right? And Johnson's like, haha, we won. But Conrad Kerr's being a creepy prick actually hid on board Lionel Johnson's flagship. So the Night Lords scatter and their fucking 12 foot tall albino vampire fucking Primarch dude somehow discreetly placed himself on board <laughs> their spaceship and the Dark Angels leave and they're like, we're good. We defeated the Night Lords. Uh, Lionel Johnson takes the Dark Angels to the Imperium Secundus, right? They get in there. And at this point, yeah. Conrad Kurz escapes and starts rampaging across McCrag. Um, at the same time, I, I don't, I guess, I guess he was, remember how I said he had Vulcan and was torturing him? Yeah. I guess he had him with him. Because at this point, Vulcan is recovered by the Loyalists, but he's completely insane. Because he's been tortured by fucking Kurs for so long, <laughs> for like two or three years now. Um, 
in what year is it? In eleven in in eleven M thirty one. So two two years later. Uh the I guess the warp storms had slowly or no, the warp storms were still going. But at this point uh Gilliman had received like evidence that the yeah. Emperor was still alive. So Gilliman realizes in eleven M thirty one that that the Emperor's still alive and he's like, well, I've kind of done a heresy. That's not good. So he immediately abolishes the Imperium Secundus, hoping, hoping that Dad's not going to find out about that. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I did not make a second uh, <laughs> And then together with the Dark Angels and the Blood Angels, the Ultramarines make an attempt to get through the Ruined Storm to reach Terra. Unfortunately, only the Blood Angels manage to get there. Um, Lionel Johnson same year i guess he got rerouted but this is at this point he's like well i didn't make it to terra we're gonna go blow up every single one of the traitor home worlds he does he does <laughs> yes. he does this for two years so for two years he's just crusading around blowing up entire planets um in the following year 12 m20 or 12 m31 the council of terra uh, declares a new Adeptus Mechanicus. So they create a new Adeptus Mechanicus made up entirely of loyalist elements, and they take or, and they appoint a new fabricator general on the seat of the council. Mm-hmm. The important thing here is that everybody in this new council or this new Mechanicus is going to accept the party line that the Emperor is the Omnisa, no ifs, ands, or buts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point, they do a mass execution of Martian priests. <laughs> they just start grabbing every Martian alive <laughs> priest and killing them because like, we just have to purge the fucking government of you people. Um, we have one question for you: Who is the Omnisaya? <laughs> oh, no, wrong answer. You're dead. I think it was more like, "Where were you born, Mars? You're dead." <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in thirteen, circa thirteen, M thirty one. The Battle of Beta Garmin begins. Um, I didn't look into this one at all. It doesn't really matter. It's one of the largest battles during the war. Uh, the only reason I mentioned it is following this battle, Horus falls into a coma. But before he does, mm. he orders the traitor legions to muster their forces on Ulanor. I really like that. He's basically like, we're going to make our final leap toward Terra. Go to Ulanor, because Ulanor is kind of where it all began, remember? Ulanor is... They, they ended the Great Crusade on Ulanor. They killed all the orcs. They built a palatial yeah. construct on Ulanor, and on Ulanor, the Emperor declared Horus the War Master. And then about 13 years later, they're back on Ulanor, and the War Master Horus is like, we're gonna go kill Dad. At this, That's it. I'm over. At this point, um, Lorgar is exiled. They kind of kick him out too because he tries to usurp the War Master. And I think what happened there is Horus is in his coma, and Lorgar's like, "Well, I'm clearly the best." And they're all like, "Boo! Fuck off!" And Lorgar leaves because he's not the best. <laughs> um, but he wanted to take Horus's job. Uh, so. The Death Guard were... Everybody had fallen to chaos by this point, right? The World Eaters were really the only ones that had actual, like, 
like fucking mutations and stuff because they were the only ones that were actively like involved with chaos except for Callus yeah. Typhon. Callus Typhon is the first captain of the Death Guard. He's the man that becomes Typhus the Despoiler. Hmm. He secretly worshipped Nurgle. He wanted the Death Guard to also worship Nurgle. So Callus Typhon and his ship they're going to, I think his ship's called Terminus Est. They're going toward Earth. They enter the warp, and when they're in the warp, he kills his navigators. Okay. And once he kills the navigators, he shuts down the Gellerfield. And then all of a sudden, Nurgle starts getting into the ship. And what happened yes. here is Nurgle filled the ship with effectively blot flies. Like these flies that can crawl under your skin and, and sting oh, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the ship just filled with these fucking flies and started crawling into everybody's power armor and stinging them and, and causing severe pain. Everybody was just extreme pain, right? And by the time the ship came out of the warp, the entire Legion had been fully corrupted by Nurgle because they basically had to make a deal to end the pain. They all had to give in. And so Callus Typhon betrayed his entire legion and handed it over to Nurgle so that when they showed up on Earth, they were effectively all zombies. So I think they were the first ones that showed up and, like, the, the Terran, like, the people on Earth were like, what the fuck? Because they hadn't seen this prior, right? Um, the next big thing is, take a guess. The Siege of Terra. Siege of Terra. Uh, so this is in the year uh, 14, M31. This is the last battle of the Horus Heresy. Obviously, it's waged on Terra. Um, this has a ickload of forces fighting. On the one side, in the one corner, you've got the Imperial Fists, the Blood Angels, the White Scars, the, a contingent of the Dark Angels... The Imperial Army, yeah. the Adeptus Mechanicus, obviously the Adeptus Custodes, and the Sisters of Silence. On the other side, you got the Sons of Horus, Iron Warriors, World Eaters, Thousand Sons, Emperor's Children, Death Guard, Word Bearers, Night Lords, Dark Mechanicum, Imperial Traitor Forces, and uh, Demons. Shitload of Demons. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, a lot of people. Yeah, it is, uh, it is a lot. It is. Let's see if we have exact numbers here. Doesn't say there's too many. <laughs> just too many. Yeah. Now, I I really wish I could do this one justice, but this is by and far the largest like write up for the battle, and I I don't think I can touch on it too much. Um, there were a couple things that I remember we spoke about already that came out of the battle, namely the Imperial Cult kind of really jumped out of this. Do you remember? Because there was a guy who fought on Terra and immediately after the war started forming a cult and then that kind of grew. Yeah. Um, but when people think of the Siege of Terra, the, the big thing that happened was the conflict on the Vengeful Spirit. The Vengeful Spirit is uh, Horus's flagship. Um, basically, Space Wolves got in the upper hand on the Alpha Legion. The Word Bearers were defeated at Kelth. 
by the uh, Ultramarines, and the Dark Angels were heading toward Terra. So the the yes. Horus had got himself into a winning position during the siege, but as soon as he's like, yeah, we're doing good, he's told that elsewhere in the galaxy, the Space Wolves, the Ultramarines, and the Dark Angels, who are still in pretty good fighting strength, are all now Terra-bound. And he's like, well, fuck. Well, we gotta hurry up. He gets to say he's mad. So... He was really hoping, his whole, his whole thing was he's like, I will have to deal with those guys at some point, but if I can deal with everything else on Terra before they show up, I can win this war. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But with those three legions attacking him while he's dealing with everything on Terra, it's a bit more difficult. Um, now he's racing against time. He decided... His first plan failed, so he's like, I gotta, he's like, at this point, he's gotta risk it for the biscuit. He's gotta roll, he's gotta roll his dice and just really hope he gets boxcars. Uh, yeah. He's on his battle barge, the Vengeful Spirit. He lowers his void shields. And he sends an invite to the Emperor. So he's, he's basically lowers his shields and he's like, hey, Dad, come on by, come by my place, see what I've done with it. Think you'll, think you'll like. Don't bite me. Think you'll like the place. It's gotten gotten creepier since you last saw me. Rogel Dorn being Rogel Dorn is like, hey, don't maybe like this seems like a really bad idea. Um, the big angry guy that has successfully killed a large number of our forces is trying to get you to go to his house. Maybe don't do that. Uh, but the emperor's like, I know it's the. I know it's a trap, but, like, look at me. I'm, I'm literally God. I'm glowing. I'm gonna win. <laughs> so, he doesn't actually, but he's like, he's like, I need to deal with this. He's like, I need to fucking deal with Horus. I know it's a trap, but I gotta fucking kill this yeah. guy. So, he gets up from the Golden Throne, and he takes Melkador the Sigilite, who is either the second or third most powerful psyker in the Imperium after the Emperor. He takes Melkador, and he's like, Sit on the throne, Elkador, because up until this point, the Emperor had been sitting on the Golden Throne since its construction. Mm-hmm. Because he has to keep the Astronomicon alight, right? Yeah. Um, he puts Melkador on the throne, and... Uh, fucking sorry, I'm losing track here. And then uh, he takes himself, he takes Dorne and Sanguinus, as well as, like, a large group of Custodes and Terminators, and they all teleport onto the Vengeful Spirit. But the uh, teleportation malfunctioned somehow, and the Loyalists get scattered through the ship. And the ship is just filled to the brim with demons. (laughs) So instead of all (laughs) up as, like, a cohesive force, they're just fucking scattered. So they're all kind of coming under attacks independently from all sorts of just horrible nonsense, like demons and monsters and chaos space marines and fucking god knows, right? But the loyalist forces fight their way across uh, the vengeful spirit, just trying to find the war master. And you got to keep in mind that the the ship is completely corrupted by chaos, so it's probably not like (laughs) just go down this hallway and turn left. It's probably like up and down, left is right. Like it's just nonsense now. Yeah, Yeah. Um. They're all looking for Horus, though. The first to reach Horus was Sanguinus. And 
Sanguinous and Horus, this is kind of tragic because Sanguinous and Horus are best friends. Right? They love each yes. other. And Horus still loves Sanguinous. And he kind of offers him one final time. He's like, join me. He's like, please join me. I don't want to have to do this. And Sanguinous is like, no. He's like, I'm not. No, fuck you. I'm, I'm still with that. And so they start dueling. But, like, Horus is just a monster by this point. Like, you've seen the pictures of him. He's huge. He's huge. Yeah, and he's yeah, also yeah. powered by angry gods. So, fucking Sanguinous yeah. is no match for Horus. Like, he, he is struck down very, very quickly. The Emperor finally reaches Horus, and he just sees him standing over Sanguinous, who's basically just a pile of viscera. <laughs> at his feet, just very, very dead. And the Emperor is... is This is kind of interesting. He's, he's overwhelmed by Sora, which I didn't think, like... The Emperor used these people as tools, but he sees Sanguine yeah. as the, easily one of the most beloved of his sons dead. And he's actually, like... He's actually affected by it, which is pretty impressive, because... Yeah, I didn't think he was capable of that. And as he's speechless, Horus starts mocking him and claims himself to be the rightful ruler of humanity and claims that he has even bound the Chaos Gods to his will. So he's saying, I'm not serving the Chaos Gods. Uh -huh. They serve me. And the, the uh -huh. Emperor just looks up at him and just pities him. He's like, you've been trapped. He's, he's like, I, I know exactly what has happened to you and you've been you've been tricked and you've fallen into a trap and you were a slave and you don't know what's happening. And he's, he's, he feels saddened by this. He's like, not only is he sad that Horus is dead, but he's, or that Sanguinus is dead, but he's, he's sad for Horus that he's fallen this far and that he's done this. Yeah, Cause yeah, he yeah. was the greatest of the Primarchs, right? Um, Horus kind of this point, I think is losing it quite a bit like his mind. Cause He's always yeah, yeah. been stoic, he's always been reserved, and now, because he's mocking his father, and his father's not phased by it, he just feels bad for him, he he lets his rage overtake him, and he just attacks. Like, he, he fucking... Just loses it. Yeah, he loses it, and, and begins to, like, prepare to attack his father. Um, but because of... Like, like normally the Emperor would probably pretty easily be able to deal with Horus because of his psychic ability, yeah. but because Horus did the same thing the Emperor did and went into that space well and talked to the gods and whatnot, yeah, yeah. he was pretty evenly matched, right? So the two get locked in battle, not like they're, they're attacking with sword and power claw and whatnot, but also they're, they're, trying to overwhelm the other one's mind with their psychic abilities. Um, but even after all of this, the Emperor was holding back. Because he, he was still like, he couldn't bring himself to use the full power he had and kill his, his most beloved son. He was like, huh. he was still mad about everything, and he, he, but he wasn't willing to push it that little extra bit and completely destroy him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Horus, on the other hand, wasn't so kind. 
and used his uh, psychic powers to crush the Emperor's windpipe and sever the tendons in his wrist, break all of his mm. ribs, and then he rips out his left eye and sets his hair on fire. So you've seen the pictures of the Emperor. Oh, okay. You've seen the pictures of the Emperor in his current condition. Like in the troll on the yeah. troll uh, Yeah, as a hair. Uh, yeah, that's why he looks like this. Is he ripped out his fucking eye, crushed all his bones, and lit him on fucking fire. And then as if all right. <laughs> this is the best bit. As if that wasn't enough, Horus pulled a Liam and Russ move and lifted the Emperor above his head and brought him down <laughs> on his knee again, shattering his fucking spine. He then nice. ripped one of his arms from his sockets and then just starts like being like, yeah, I did it. I killed him. Like the Emperor's <laughs> beaten, broken, crippled, fucking on fire. <laughs> He's got his arm out of his body. I like to think Horace is standing there with the arm above his head just twirling it, blood flickering against all the walls as he's hooting and hollering. <laughs> like, woo! <laughs> Fucking blood, blah, blah, blah. But as he's sitting there being a fucking idiot, there's a single custodian, like a single custodes enters the room kind of quietly. Although some people say it was just a mere human named Elanius Pius, who, uh... Elanius Pius is one of the first saints, I think, of the Imperial yeah. cult. Um, which I think that's a better story, is that Elanius Pius did it. But basically either Custodes or Elanius Pius enters quietly. And without any mm -hmm. hesitation, whoever it was, they see what's happened and they charge Horus. And Horus just sees this fucking human running at him, and he bursts out in laughter. And he fucking uses his psychic ability to just rip the motherfucker apart. Like, he just sees somebody look running at him, and he's like, ha ha ha, zap, and the fucking guy just gone. Um, <laughs> this was the decisive moment. The Emperor is still alive, like, barely. But he's, he's down there, but he sees, he sees Horus do that, and he's like, Okay, you know what? Maybe Horus is a bit of an asshole. He's like, I can handle the beating. I can handle the arm being ripped out. I can handle him killing all of his brothers. But how dare he zap that? Kill a human. How dare he kill a human? I love the humans. Um, so at that point, he's like, you know what? Fuck this guy. And he's willing to use his full power. He lashes out at Horus with his full power. He focuses on all of his energy into the psychic bolt of pure energy. And this lance of power just shoots right through Horus's heart. And at that point, the Chaos Gods are like, God damn it. <laughs> like, our, this, Why this, did he kill that Juba? Like, this fucking idiot has failed. And so they all, like, they're occupying Horus's mind and body, all four of the Chaos Gods, and they're like, we're down, we're out of here, man. We're, we're gone. Here's here we're breaking the lease agreement and we're we're leaving, and so they abandoned <laughs> Horus. And as they did, Horus regained his sanity. And in that moment, oh, yeah, in that moment, he realizes what he's done. He's like, I he he knows how guilty he is. He knows what he's done. He knows he's killed all his brothers and all the evil he's done. And he begs the emperor to finish it. He begs the oh. Emperor to strike a finishing blow before Chaos takes over again. 
And so he focuses the last of his strength into another psychic bolt, and he just destroys his son. Like, he just fucking... He just psychics him into nothing, basically. Nice. Finally, fucking do-nothing Dorn and his Terminator show up. <laughs> and they, uh, they enter the chamber, and they're like, what the fuck? They're like, okay, Sanguinus is dead. The Horus, or fucking the Emperor, is like ripped apart, missing an arm, missing an eye. His hair's gone, and scalp is burned. His back's broken. He's bent at a ninety degree angle. What the fuck has happened here? <laughs> and Horus is dead. They're like, what the shit? And the Emperor, presumably bleeding out and quivering, <laughs> just demanded. He's like, Dorn, you fucking idiot. Get me back to the Golden Throne. Dorn's like, okay, Dad. <laughs> Picks up this, this fucking shell of a man and brings him back to a chair. And uh, they teleport off of Avengel Spirit back to the palace. And they put him up on the chair. Meanwhile, the death of Horus had kind of sent a psychic shock across all the forces of chaos yeah, yeah, yeah. on Terra. In the same way that, like, what happened with Magnus when he had his back broke, everybody knew, right? When. Mm-hmm. When Horus died, all the forces on on Terra, all the Chaos forces, knew Horus died. And they're like, well, party's over, I guess. And they all retreated. Just everybody yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. left. They, the demons all left. The fucking the Chaos Marines all got on their ships and left. And they all just hauled ass toward the Eye of Terror. Uh, they were all huh. kind of confused. Everybody lost any cohesion. It was just like absolute madness. It was like the the traitor Primarchs lost complete control of their forces, yeah. and everybody was just like, "Every man for himself. Let's get the fuck out of here. Get back." Um, the only ones that were left at the end, I think, were the Death Guard and Mortarion. Um, but at the same huh. time, as this was happening, the Blood Angels began suffering horrific visions of what happened to Sanguinus. So this was all, like, even though they weren't present, they all started seeing it in their mind, what happened with Sanguinus. No. And that might be the first instance of the Black Rage happening. Because the Black Rage is that they all witness Sanguinus's final moments on the, uh, on the, the ship as he dies. Yeah, yeah. Sends him into a rage. This is the first moment that happened. And yeah, that's that's the Horus heresy. Everybody fucking left. Y'all flew back to the Eye of Terror, yeah. and basically, Gilliman and a couple of his brothers are like, "What the fuck?" Like the Imperium is in absolute ruins at this point, and they're like, "What? <laughs> what do we do?" Like the Salamanders went yeah. a legion to like a few hundred dudes. Fucking Ferris Manus is dead. Fucking Vulcans. Exactly. Vulcans insane. <laughs> it's, it's bad times. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, Melkador, the Sigilite. The guy, this, this is a good line, the guy who was put on the Golden Throne by the Emperor to power the Astronomicon, he'd been, yeah. he'd been reduced to a pile of dust because of the, <laughs> because of the strain of of being on the golden throne like it caused so much 
so much fucking like strain on his mind that he was by the just... by the time they brought the emperor back, they're just like somebody get a dust butter a dust buster and get <laughs> Ma- get Malkador off. Some guy comes <laughs> in with a Hoover, they're just like, okay, Malkador's gone. Get get fucking <laughs> get armless guy on the throne now. Um, the emperor in his dying breaths, I guess, was adamant. Uh, yeah, the adamant that he hooks back up to the machine. Um, the last, uh, the last spoken words to his most trusted followers gathered around him were, oh yeah, just those orders. Oh no, no, sorry, sorry. The last, the last words he had given to everyone around him as they hooked him up to the machine and he kind of died was that he left the fate of humanity to the hands of the Primarchs. Oh, yeah. Which is interesting, because the whole Horus heresy began with this fear as the Emperor left them. That maybe we're not like, like maybe the Emperor's done with us. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, they, they had this fear that and there were other factors, right? But may, I think a good chunk of it was that the the Primarchs largely felt that the Emperor is creating a future where we are irrelevant and we are no longer needed in the Imperium. And then that yeah. that little thing snowballed into the Horus Heresy. But his dying breath is, I, I leave this to my sons. I'm leaving the Imperium to the remaining Primarchs, which I think is yeah. sil- like kind of quietly tragic. Um, there were ongoing yeah. battles after this point. Uh, technically, the Horus Heresy ends here, but there were still some conflicts after this where the Loyalists were just kind of chasing the traitors back toward the Eye of Terror. Yeah. 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 But uh, that's, that is the Horus Heresy. Um, I, I kind of wish I could have done more on the Siege of Terror, but I... This one took oh, a while to so write. Much. Oh, it's it's a huge yeah. amount. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I, I used to get a lot of my research stuff from like the Warhammer 40k fandom wikia. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one specifically, I used 1d4chan quite a bit because they summarize things in a very good, concise way that's still kind of funny. But uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Lexicanum was imme- immensely helpful for this because. I find that the other wiki, the fandom one, has a lot more information on it, whereas the yeah. lexicanum might be very brief. But for things like this, it's helpful. Oh. It's very helpful. Yeah. What about you? What'd you What'd you think? What uh, What'd you think of the story of the Horus Heresy? What are your impressions? I think it was. Uh, I think it's well, not a nice story. But I think it's. Uh... I think it's nice. It's uh, like a lot of those, a lot of stuff is happening. Like it's tra- traitors and like political, and then yeah. fucking everyone, one getting murdered, and then it's like yeah. big on fight going, and so like uh, and then like being uh, the ultramar being cut off, and then thinking they're by themselves. So it's like a lot of things is happening, and it's very broad the thing of oh it's immensely broad happening. i you gotta keep in mind this is yeah. the horus heresy I, I don't even think they finished writing the books but there's gotta be close to a hundred books 
covering the, the yeah, yeah. plots, if not more than a hundred. Like it's an immense amount of books yeah. written by a huge number of different people. Um, but yeah, there there yeah, is yeah. a lot of like politicking and and a lot of different thematics and stuff going on here, right? You got and the fact is like space marines against themselves, like the chapters, like all brothers and all. Like it's a big family issues. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it it so the the space marine part. The space marine on space marine part i'm not as interested in because like the superhuman versus superhuman is whatever i like that yeah but it's technically all together it's like they all one family if you that's what i like though i was gonna say i don't i i like more the plight of the regular human versus the insane but i do like that this was essentially a family dispute it was brother versus brother and despite the fact it was waged across the entirety of the milky way and despite the fact it was this massive destructive war it was ultimately about the the personal differences between brothers it was about the yeah yeah it was it was about the the i i like that the, the horus heresy is about like how the primarchs are these these demigods that are so far above what humanity is, but they fell to petty jealousy and and yeah. other follies that regular humans fall to, and that caused exactly that. yeah, um, and that even that even some of them died like yeah brutally too. Brutally. Yeah, exactly. I, so. I can't remember how many Primarchs in total died. I know Kurs did. I know. Obviously, Ferris Manus did. Um, Lorgar lived, Perturabo lived, Angron lived, Horus died, obviously. Um, I think Horus and Kurz were the only Chaos guys to actually... Oh, no, yeah, Alpharius dies, too. Uh, Alpharius dies on Pluto. So that's the thing, is mm -hmm. I skipped a lot of stuff here. Like, for instance, one day we will talk about Alpharius. And I will explain all the stuff around why he joined the Heresy. Yeah, Institute. exactly. Why? Why did? Yeah. Why he did during the Aris Heresy and yeah. whatnot? Because there's a lot. We're not talking about the Heresy itself. Like we didn't really touch on the White Scars at all. They spent a good chunk of the war kind of not participating because they had no idea what the fuck was going on and they didn't know who to side with. Um, yeah, there's, yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. Um, I did like that thing at the end, though. I didn't realize that, that I always wondered what would happen. Like, I always thought it was like he died and they put the Emperor on the Golden Throne. I didn't realize he was still semi-alive at that point. Um, yes. Like, but, plug me in. This, like, the only thing I can do left is being a beacon of light. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that he wanted his Primarchs to rule. I always wondered, like, well, Gilliman's back now. How does the Emperor feel about him running things? But I, I like yeah, I like yeah. this. Not only that that the emperor was like, I'm giving it to my sons, but I like that the sense that it came full circle. It started with what they saw as him taking it from them, and it ended with him giving it to them. The imperial. Yeah, and it role. says his sons, not like I'm giving it to Gilliman or I'm giving yeah, it to exactly. whoever it's else like, remain. I leave it in. He did not. I did the mistake once with Horus, not twice. <laughs> I, I, I leave it in the hands of my Primarchs, which was interesting. Yeah, um, so yeah, it's like everyone. And there was a lot of, like, there was a lot of sneaky, sneaky stuff going on here. I, I, I like how Horus really, like, 
hid behind the lines and like how for basically like fucking six years they had no idea that the word bearers were traitor and like how despite <laughs> death how despite like killing three entire fucking legions and decimating entire planets they still managed to operate in a way that like the greater imperium was like no there's no treason well where's the salamanders <laughs> where's the fucking raven guard gone oh i don't know you know those raven guard know. they're sneaky they're somewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah um do you think though because the whole point of doing Horus heresy was that the next episode is not going to be the age of the imperium or the age of apostasy the next episode is going to be whatever the hell we feel yeah. like the next episode being probably on the day we we record it uh yeah, yeah, yeah but the whole idea of doing the Horus heresy is that we can now just pick up at some point and be like we're gonna talk about Alpharius is a good one we'll talk about Alpharius and at this point, during the Horus Heresy, he was doing this, and I don't now have to explain what everyone else was doing or why they were doing it or why things are happening. Do, yeah, do, yeah, you, yeah. do you think this episode will help yourself and hopefully our listeners that are new to the setting understand the, the reasoning of 40k, like why shit is happening? Uh, definitely, yes. You will... Uh get a like an overall sense of what what happened and who's who and what did who did what but man there's so much information it's like uh, oh, there's a it's hard to keep track but well you don't have to keep track to... but you now know no, no, but keep track but uh, it's like sometimes even sometimes like the fall of Marcaria, Mark, well, monarchia 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 and it's like a mix mixing up events up but you kind of without necessarily not knowing uh, to the T, what is what is what, but Suzanne, you know that the events, what the events happens, and what kind of lead led to what. So yeah. Well, exactly, and and the idea isn't that you have to be able to remember verbatim what what is what, but just you know that you get the big pictures. You know that Gilliman did a thing at a place to piss off Lorgar. That's why yeah. Lorgar fell, and Lorgar, why did he bring down? Horus. Well, he brought down Horus because he was the best Primarch, and how did he do it? He did it by magic things on Davin. Like you, at least the yeah, idea yeah, here yeah. is that it's going to paint a picture of you're looking at the, you're, of the chain of event of what happened. Yeah. yeah, the current setting of 40k is is a painting. The Horus Heresy is the primer under the paint. It's, it's yeah. a layer of like, okay, this this is the setting you need to understand for us to talk about any other story in the 40k setting, and I, I think we've accomplished that in a very um, poor man's approach to Warhammer way. I, I think we stayed true to our name by doing this in not quite half-assed, but I think three-quarters-assed way. Yeah, well, no. I think we did a decent job. We didn't necessarily need to go in-depth in everything, otherwise we'll be like a fucking 10-episode uh, uh, season Netflix. Ah, yeah, fuck. That's a good point. I mean... It's it's a lot of info. It is a lot of info. And there are things we could have covered more. There are things we probably could have covered less. But I think we covered the important parts. Uh, An important part and what was interesting to us at the same yeah. time. As for our listeners, um, if you want to hear about a specific moment in the Horus Heresy, if you want to hear about a specific character, a specific event, or if you have a question about, well, okay, you explained all this, but what, why is this a thing? Let us know, and we might get into it eventually. Um, the next couple episodes, I think yeah. we're going to be doing 
a little more just just hobby talk. We're gonna just do hobby talk. Yeah. Wind down a little more off the cuff type stuff where we don't have to spend. Maybe head to head, see you pick characters, whatever, yeah, or an event or whatever. Yeah, I'll do a couple head to heads. We'll do. I think the next one we're gonna do is definitely probably a quick roundtable discussion just about our interest in the hobby in general. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe some wackier episodes. Uh, but I'll I'll mm -hmm. leave that as a surprise for later, maybe. Um, yeah, do you have yeah. any closing statements, remarks, comments, questions? No, no. I'd just like to uh, thanks for the listening and thanks for uh, thank you for uh, sharing all this lore to me that I will try <laughs> to remember some of it. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> hope hope you hope it 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 helps you understand why you're uh, painting your models. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I don't know, but yeah, it's uh, just nice to have like, like the other tabletop, but like what's driving the tabletop. I, I hope that this episode, if nothing else, when you pick up your Gilliman model now and you go to paint him or deploy him, I want every time you pick him up to just have this quick little thud be like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you, you piece of shit. How did you not see what was happening at Kelf? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, you know, uh, you're a friendly fight. What? Well, I think Matt just crashed. He... Hold on, what's happening? All right, so, well, Matt just crashed, so, uh, I don't know if this has a power shortage or anything. So in the end, I would like to thank you guys for listening. As always, you can... Oh, hey, you're back. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. I don't know. I thought you crashed sure and uh, or a power outage. I was kind of doing yeah. an outro Were thing. You? Well, I guess. Are we... Yeah, but... I don't know. I don't know if you were coming back. It's just all of a sudden you oh, were gone. Yeah, I, I, I accidentally hit the... I was trying to close a window. I hit the wrong button. It looks like Craig's still recording. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oopsie poopsie. Is it a runestorm rune around your place? Yeah, spooky. Fucking... Uh, it's Phil up in the ceiling fucking around with my internet connection. Um, <laughs> I'll, uh, what was I saying there before I disappeared? What were you saying? I can't remember where we were. I freaked out. Uh, well, I know what I was saying is, uh, you know what's, yeah, if you pick your uh, freaking uh, Gilliman, it's like, you know why your pain is like, you, you at Battle of Cal, <laughs> you Kelf. You're, you're getting the crappiest paint job in my army, buddy. <laughs> you know what's interesting, though? Is, you deserve to die by the knights twice. You, I guess you don't have any dreadnoughts. If you look at the older dreadnought models, like the regular box knot models, um, their greaves and their their guns, like their shoulder mounts, yeah. have like inscriptions in them that say names, and the, some of the names that they say are Istvan and Kelf. Which mm. is odd. It's, I guess it's not odd because you can paint them any fucking color you want, but it's yeah. odd that it would say Istvan and Kelf because according to what we just read, there was no force at both Istvan and Kelf. Um, but still, it's kind of neat that they have that. I've always wondered what was Kelth, and now we know what Kelth is. Yeah. yeah just a, a su 
supremely stupid series of events. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but uh, I guess that takes us to our outro. Um, yeah. Yeah, as always, uh, you, you guys can find us on uh, Spotify, Google Podcast, iTunes, Anchor.fm. And uh, we do currently have a Discord, as we said at the beginning. We were recording through Discord today, so hopefully it produces a good episode. Um, currently, we don't know if we're going to open this up for public or not. Right now, it's just a response to logistical issues we're having in terms of recording. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, as for future recording, I'm hoping Discord's going to help us open it up to larger discussions with more people, and maybe down the road we can start getting other people in on here too to just kind of join us in live chats and stuff. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, but currently it's Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and Google. Um, we are also on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook account isn't super active. It's more or less just a place for us to post and say, hey, here's our new episode. But uh, you can always follow us on Facebook if you want to reach out to us. That's a great place to do it. Other than that, we are on Instagram mm -hmm. where we post uh, pictures of our models. You can see Dion's progress on his Ultramarines and follow me as I try to figure out how to glue shells onto Imperial Knight models. Yeah, and definitely we're more active on our Instagram, so you can always uh, yeah, leave comments, leave comments or whatever your DM or message if you want it's... to have subject or pictures of something specific or you want to send us your pictures. Yeah, I'd love to see them. Um, and please do reach out to us. Uh, I'd love to hear back from our listeners and know what you want to know uh, or know what you guys would like to hear. Um, I also want to throw a special just... Hey, thanks for listening. Shout out to uh, our listeners in, I believe it's Norway of all places, actually. Let me check that. Um, da, da, da. So we got a one in Norway yeah, now? Because I'm, I'm not on top of our stats, so I know last time we had someone from Brazil. Yeah, yeah. We no. uh, some interesting groups listening. The Netherlands. How do you say how yeah. do you say hello in in the Netherlands, Dion? I don't know. Hola. <laughs> Hold on, we're both actively googling it. In Dutch. Oh, it's just hello. Interesting. Well, I would like to say yeah. hello to our our friends in the Netherlands. Good day to our friends in Australia. Yo to our friends in the States and Cheerio to the UK. Uh no, it's it's cool that we're getting listeners from around the world though. That's it's neat. It's not a huge yeah. percent, but I'm I'm curious like who in the Netherlands came across our channel and decided to listen to us. Um it's neat. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, to everyone who is listening, thank you for listening. We appreciate anybody listening at all. Any kind of support is great. Um as always, if you want to support us, we are the Poor Man's Warhammer Podcast, so we do not have a Patreon, and we will not ask for your money, but we would love if you could go to our Instagram and share us there. Just show us to your friends. Yep. Yeah, sh Suggest us to your friends. Show our uh, Instagram on Facebook or whatever. Just get our name out there. That's all we're asking for. Once again, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll uh, see you next time.